This is Bill Van Vagel from Phantom Galaxy Podcast here, inviting you all to have your senses challenged and your mind engaged. In Strange Frequencies, we discuss thought-provoking songs and mind-bending movies. That's Strange Frequencies, where the needle drops and the story begins. Welcome back to another episode of Strange Frequencies, part of the Phantom Galaxy Network, the crossroads where science fiction, horror, and fantasy meet. And I'm joined today by my co-host all the time, Mr. Nathan Bartlebaugh. How are you doing today, Nathan? I am doing great. How about you, Bill? I'm doing awesome. I've got a little bit of turmoil in my personal life, only because we're stuck in a COVID situation with my work. So I get to do a lot more work at home, which means more research, which benefits the audience, which everybody's happy with. But the series of shows that we're doing now has to do with our Halloween theme. And with our wide range of our podcasts, be it horror, be it fantasy, be it sci-fi, action, we have a wide array of shows within that genre. But I thought today, being as it's strange frequencies and we're music-based, we would do a show that's not necessarily going to be trick-or-treat or Halloween, not that they're bad movies, but I wanted to incorporate music in a fun kind of laid-back fashion and also incorporate movies into the conversation. And I thought, who could we get to be on a show that would add a little bit of expertise? And I have a good friend here who hasn't been on the show before that the audience is going to just love. And I would like to introduce Mr. Ryan Stockstead. And before he speaks, I want to go over his lengthy resume. You, I first got a hold of Ryan as a horror lover because he has a YouTube horror movie review show called Halloween Horror Picks. He is also a game show creator. He is a YouTube channel creator. He is an actor slash filmmaker. He works for a filmmaker. He's a Facebook movie group creator. He's a music lover. He's a podcaster. And he's a fellow bearded male, Mr. <laughs> Ryan Stockstead. What would wow. you like to say, Ryan? Wow. Thanks for that introduction. That's uh, that's a, I, I'm impressed. But who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> so what, what about music and horror is it that you love? Oh, wow. Uh, well, I mean, I've been a music lover probably since, uh, you know, birth. Um, you know, I, I'm definitely a, a music nerd, admittedly. Um, made mixtapes and mixed CDs and playlists <laughs> uh, going back to when I was a teenager. Um, and uh, I mean, I mean, just, just the power of music, you know, it just it just it just moves you, you know. Um, and then movies, uh, same thing. I mean, uh, I've always loved movies. I think, I think it's done for my parents, you know, really big into movies. So I grew up studying them, watching them, etc. And to try to pick your brain a little bit, what might be one or two of your favorite musical influences and what might be one or two of your favorite movie influences, be it from any genre, any actress, any time frame? Mm. Well, I'll start with movies, I guess, real quick. I, I've I've always kind of said that uh, Psycho is probably my favorite horror movie of all time, and uh, yeah, um, you know, I still still can watch that shower scene and just be in awe of it, um, or the scene where Norman Bates is cleaning up and it's just silent with him cleaning up the suspense of that. It's tough to top that. Um, as for music, I, I I'm all over the map. I love I like punk music. I like country music. 
Um, I like a little bit of everything. Um, in fact, I, I put out like a, a monthly playlist, uh, which nobody seems to care about but me, but I, may, I make it anyway every month. I will always input you <laughs> if there's a Canadian content. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You're always good for that. If I post it, you'll always jump on. Hey, check out that Canadian artist. Thanks. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll see that my, my playlists, whenever I post them, I mean, they're pretty, mm-hmm. pretty much all over the map. I run the gamut. Um, and I just love exploring uh, new sounds that I've never heard before, new artists I've never heard before. Um, so I'm always going back into the past and trying to mine, you know, the gems, uh, those musical gems that maybe other people haven't heard before, or I've never heard them before. And I'm discovering them for the first time. Yeah. I love that. So you might say you go from the 1920s to the 2020s. Yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Is there anything you wanted to ask or input Nathan? No, that's really cool. I'm glad that, uh, that Ryan's here to join us for this particular topic. And uh, I think sometimes gems may vary with this particular, this particular uh, sub genre we're talking about today, but I love probably most of the songs we're going to be talking about today, whether they're cheesy or not. Very cool. And that's, that's the theme we're going to go with pure cheese, nothing but bread and Loggins and Messina for the next hour. (laughs) No, what we're, what I was trying to think of Nathan and I were spitballing ideas with each other and we wanted to do a non-traditional, traditional Halloween episode. And so we thought, you know, do we want to go over, you know, the, the old standards, which have their place, their standards for a reason, but there's also courses you can take to kind of veer off the musical map and everywhere in between across genres, across eras, the top musical types. But, you know, one of the things that's popular these days that everybody seems to have a warm comfort creature effect of is the eighties. We got stranger things going, slashers are always popular. And so we thought let's create a mixtape per se. Everybody here has stories of sticking their tape deck right beside the radio and creating their own mixtape. And then the horror of playing it when it gets caught and you've lost all that effort when it gets all messed up in the tape. Oh, right. Like garbled up in the... I don't know how many cars I was in and it it got sizzled up and I just almost started crying. You know, it was awful. Ryan, do you have a favorite cassette tape story? Let me think about that for a second. Um, Um... Yeah, I mean, I, I'll just say this. I mean, how many times did you, you you met a girl, you know, or a guy, whatever your preference is, no judgment here. Uh, did you meet someone you're into and uh, you, you make a, a cassette for them, you know, it's back in the 80s or the 90s. And then they don't like it. <laughs> they don't like it. I was going to say, I had a roommate in university who was on the football team that used to have a different makeout tape depending upon who he was going out with. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so it was kind of like makeout tape for Tuesday. This is the uh, the football makeout tape what have you. I've got a good a good friend who one of his uh, litmus tests when he meets a girl that he's interested in is he drops uh Devo to see her reaction. Now, it's okay if she's never heard of Devo. It's okay if she loves Devo. It's okay if she um, is hearing it for the first time. But what's not okay is if she hates it. <laughs> then she, know, then he knows that there's no chance for them. They will never, ever get get along. It won't work out. Well, then, then thank God I found my wife because nobody's going to listen to my litmus test. I'll tell you that. <laughs> what, what's your litmus test? <laughs> At Rush. Ah. So, or, or you know what? I could probably go with a couple others. You know, how deep do you like Blue Cheer? You know that kind of thing. But. <laughs> um, 
what I thought we would do to make this fun, and as we're listening, audience, I know you're probably screaming as you listen, create your own and submit them to us as well. Because what each of the three of us have done is we've created a top five Halloween list of songs that we would put on our own mixtape. Now, it's not necessarily going to be Halloween-themed songs, although it could be. It could be anything spooky, creepy, melodic, atmospheric, that they think would be on a cool mixtape that, you know, when you go to that house that's spooky and scary and all dressed up and there's music playing in the background, that's the kind of mixtape we want. So something that's thematic or fits the genre or sounds really cool, it's just going to scare the crap out of you. Those are the (laughs) kind of songs that we're going to have on here. So we're going to kind of probably do this round robin style. Well, each person will give song one and then someone else will give song one and someone else will give song one. Now, these aren't necessarily in the order of least to greatest, although they could be because there's so many songs. I ranked and mine. You know when you put I, I definitely, oh, say, Ryan I definitely ranked, ranked okay. mine. Ryan's used, to, Ryan's used to ranking, but I know like with Nathan and myself, when you're creating a mixtape, you're kind of at the whim, unless you had multiple cassette players or multiple record players, you're at the whim of the radio. So yes. you just kind of got your five songs and you stuck them <laughs> in. So like you might, you might have Van Halen and then you might have DeBerg. <laughs> you just could have anything, you know? So that's how I did mine. Ryan has his in order. That's completely. I had cool. like an existential crisis, like putting mine together. So it's basically, it's like, I'll have like five minutes of explanation. Essentially I, my top five are more like a top five representational i think of i like so many different kinds of music and so many different halloween style songs spooky songs that i try to do a top five that more like the sensibility of everything that i like as opposed to really getting down to this is the absolute top five because i think i would have gone nuts yeah so like i mean you know what if the song sounded one way but the lyrics don't quite match but it's thematically fine Hey, it works. We're, you know, Phantom Galaxy. We're pretty loosey goosey with our rules to start with. <laughs> no one's testing this. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not as if we have to promote this. No. Not that anybody buys records, anyways. So well, and I think we'll obviously talk about probably some of the other songs that we had on our list. I think everybody here had like about fifteen songs. We'll talk about the top five. Yeah, I have but... fifteen to seventeen songs. We have our top five, and I'll be honest with you, ladies and gentlemen. And I think Ryan and Nathan are the same way. I didn't research these. All of my songs literally came off the top of my head while I was working or in the shower or doing dishes or whatever. I'm like, oh, crap, this could fit. Okay, write it down before I forget. So I I actually uh, uh, consistently for the last, I don't know how many years, 10 years, five years, something like that. I've consistently maintained a Halloween playlist on Spotify that I just dump music in all year round. So I just looked at that. That's literally how I... (laughs) Figured so, out mine. So Ryan just looked at his phone for five minutes. That's the research <laughs> we're talking about here, folks. <laughs> whereas, whereas I'm pulling my hair out now. I, I don't want to pull any more hair out than I need to. So the way we, as I said, the way we're going to do this, we're each going to, it's not going to be a free for all, but it's going to be a little loose. Everybody's going to get their chance. And at the end, we will have compiled 15 songs that we think would make a fun cassette mixed Halloween tape. Or at least a horrific tape that you would want to play on Halloween. Or maybe when you're with your sweet something, boy, girl, whomever, and you're making it on the couch and have this on in the background. Yeah. So yeah, I know I know Ryan's licking his lips, and I know 
Nathan's got his palms all sweaty. We just can't wait for this. So, so, so Ryan, why no, you, you couldn't possibly make it more sinister. Come on. Oh, it's sinister. Yeah. Whereas I've got, you know, knives in my hands. Can't wait. Can't wait. <laughs> the butcher. So Ryan, why don't you start us off with what your number five or your first song on the cassette tape would be? All right. Um, well, one of my all time favorite bands, um, I thought I should represent here because they have just a ton of horror themed or at least horror adjacent songs. Um, but it's one that you might not think of because they're certainly not really known for it. And the band is They Might Be Giants, a quirky alternative pop band. I haven't heard of them in ages. Oh, they're awesome. Yeah. I've seen yeah. them. Oh, I, I, I love that band. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, there, there are a few bands that to me seem as relevant today whenever they release something new. Uh, that that also seemed relevant to me when I was fourteen. You know what I mean? <laughs> a very good point. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their, their their lyrics are nonsensical, but at the same time deep. Well, and they're very smart. I mean, they're just they're just wickedly intelligent. So yeah, sometimes sometimes their stuff is kind of funny and gibberishy, and and other times it's just so it's so smart. You you, you get like a whiplash trying to like like did I Sit hear that? Holy crap! That was amazing. Yeah. <laughs> Even the even uh, build a little birdhouse in your soul to sit down and like go kind of line by line through that with my kids and explaining what it kind of was and yeah they run around singing the sun is a massive incandescent gas all the time <laughs> right right uh, that's great your kids that's cool that's cool yeah well the thing is they might be giants plays wonderfully for children it's uh there's there's something about them when your brain is forming I mean just nothing seems so clever and witty as they might be giants when you're um, a kid or a teenager. Uh, maybe, maybe the Beatles, but uh. <laughs> so so. Which song of their huge catalog did you choose for this one, Ryan? Well, I got. I, I'm going to build it up even slightly more. I want to. I want to give some quick shout outs to some of their other horror themed, horror adjacent songs. Um, songs like "Haunted Floating Eye," yes. uh, <laughs> uh, "Lullaby." Oh, I'm dropping my notes here. "Lullaby to Nightmares." Um, excuse me. "Lullaby to Nightmares." Where your eyes don't go. My Evil Twin, Trouble, Awful, Devil, Evil, which is sort of a newer song. Um, I Am a Human Head. <laughs> uh, Lake Monsters is sort of, you know, it's got a monster in it. Uh, Cyclops Rock has a monster in it. Replicant. Anyway, the list goes on and on. But the song that I chose is off their 2015 album, Glean. And the song is called, Ah! That's A-A-A. Um, and the, 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 the sort of way the song is constructed is, they shout out um, things that might make you scream. And it's just a list of things that would have you going, ah! So examples might be, uh, who's that hiding underneath the blanket? Pull it off and see. Uh, don't you think it's time we uh, remove these bandages? Things like that. How are sausages made and what am I made of? <laughs> That's right. How are sausages made and what am I made of? <laughs> ah! And, and and the answer to that question is we don't want to know. We don't. But we do want to hear this song because it's very funny and uh, it's a great way to uh, dip your toe into my list. Don't you think it's time that we remove these bandages? Ah, ah. What's this button do? I wonder what's inside this ticking package that's addressed to me. How are sausages made and what am I made of? I'm going to find out now. Well, that's an awesome start, Ryan. I can't wait for the next one. So, okay. So, Nathan, what what's first on your list? 
I'm already like violating the rules because I have five, but it's really kind of like eight. But <laughs> so the fifth one, I, 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 I broke the tie. So there's not really a tie, but for the fifth place here, I was trying to think of a song that, you know, when you think of mixtape, you're thinking of a, you're putting the song on here and you want the person to really listen to it. And it's kind of situation where you can sit there and sort of focus on it and experience the song. And I felt like for the kind of Halloween or seasonal songs, it really needed a place on this list for the kind of thing that's just fun to have at a Halloween party. It may not be the greatest thing on a mixtape per se, but the kind of thing that if I were to walk into somebody's house and this was playing on the background during a Halloween party, I'd be like, oh yeah, you know what's up. <laughs> so mm. so I didn't include every single song, like something like the Monster Mash, but in the same spirit, I ultimately went with Burke Bacharach's Beware the Blob, the, the theme song. From the from the movie The Blob, the original Blob, and it's it's kind of insane because it doesn't it opens that film and it doesn't give you the vibe that you think you're going to get when the song starts out. It has a weird the uh, have you guys heard this song before? Oh yeah, love yeah. this song. It's, it, it's been a while. Pick. I have I have not seen the movie in a while, so it's, it's amazing because it's almost the perfect song for the movie because. It develops this weird, moody sort of, but very silly ambiance that's perfect for this 50s movie about a big red blob that absorbs people. You know, it kind of sets the tone perfectly. And when Backrack starts singing it, 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 you feel like you're in a lounge somewhere with, you know, and when he begins singing it, though, he gives characteristics to the blob in the way he sings the song. It slips and creeps and hops and slops and and uh, people in the background just think, beware of the blob. And it's. It's just a lot of fun, and the way it's constructed is like a carnival house itself. I think it's like one of the most fun uh, Halloween-style songs, but it doesn't have – it's not manic. It's not intense. It's not really kind of go- faux gothic the way a lot of fun Halloween songs are. It's very relaxed and and chill, and it's, it, you know, it, it seems like something you might see on the Lawrence Welk show, <laughs> it's, but it's got a lot of personality. So are you saying I should add it to my in-class playlist? I think so, because again, when this song comes on, no one's ever going to guess what this is. Like, no one's going to say this is the Blob song. Like, the beginning yeah. of it sounds like you're just in a, you know, you're you're chilling out in a cantina somewhere. And this is pre Elton John, Burt Backrack. Yeah, yeah, the fifties. The fifties. Or the six? When was the Blob? Nineteen. Yeah, fifties. Look it up. Yeah, it would be it would be in the early to mid fifties because Steve McQueen it was his first film. Yeah. And I gotta recommend the Blob too, man. That is a really fun movie. That that actually they're both fun. There's a Blob from nineteen fifty eight. There's a Blob from nineteen eighty eight. Nineteen eighty eighty is pretty gnarly. I wouldn't yeah. recommend showing it to kids. The 1958 movie's gnarly too, but in a 1958 PG sort of way. Yeah, that, yeah. that remake has some of the uh, most brutal kills. That I mean, I was not expecting it to be that brutal. Yeah. <laughs> when the guy gets pulled into the sink, ooh. Yeah, kids, kids go down in that one too in horrible ways. That's right. Well, and and yeah. our good friend Mr. Dave Becker, who's on the Illustrated Fan, lives not too close or not too far from the uh, diner. In the, oh, very in the, cool. In the one scene. 
So yeah, the theater is the, that way. No, no, it's, or it's yeah. the theater. The theater. It's the theater. Mm-hmm. It's the theater. Well, they all come running out in the blob. Uh, but they're both fun movies. Now, now, correct me if I'm wrong, but um, I've I've never seen. There's a sequel to the Blob, and if I remember correctly, the sequel is called Beware the Blob. You are absolutely right. I completely forgot about that one. Yeah, um, I, I've never seen yeah. it, so I'm just sort of going on a hazy memory here, but. I think it was a TV movie. I started ah. watching that one with the kids, and for some reason, it freaked them out more than the original Blob. I think there's a part where the Blob snatches up a cat or something, and they were just like, "Done." <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So of course, I decided, you know, you guys are not you're not ready for the the '88 one. <laughs> so of course, Nathan, your homework is over the weekend to listen to the theme to the Bob the Blob Returns. The beware blob the, returns, I, beware of the blob. Beware the, the irony blob. is beware of the blob doesn't have beware of the blob playing at the beginning of it. It's my <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. We were all disappointed about that. So, but it's in the original and it's totally cool. And it opens the film with these cool kind of jiggly animated graphics showing up. So, yeah, sounds like good, a good one. And I, and I can't wait for this uh, playlist to come out because I think this is going to be all over the place. So this is going to be an absolute blast. Uh-huh. My number five is from one of my top three all-time bands. And I had to somehow get them represented. But, you know, it's one of those things where they have a couple songs that could fit. And the one I chose afterwards, I'm like, oh, why did I choose that one? I could have chose something else. And that is the police's Bring On The Night. Nice. And, and for me to choose Bring On The Night, it kind of has a double meaning. Bring on the night, obviously, the nighttime is when scary things happen. You know, it's dark. You know, that's usually in the movies when the monsters come out, when many horror films are set, when a lot of the crimes take place, when murders take place, when the aliens come out, it's the nighttime, 90% of your time. So it's got that meaning to it. But the reason I kind of chose this one is, if you're not aware of the police, Sting, Stuart Copeland, Dandy Summers, Sting wrote this wrote the lyrics and it was based on a song from an earlier band that he was in called Last Exit. But when he looked over the lyrics, he thought this kind of fits with the time in 1977 when Gary Gilmore was the first person killed in the US by uh um what do you call it? Uh not injection, uh by cap uh, corporal punishment mm. because in 1976 the law had changed the death penalty. And he chose to be shot by firing squad for two murders he committed in Utah in 1975. And he was bringing, come on, bring on the night. You can, he's, he wants to get the night onward so he can get on with getting killed and getting shot. So the song kind of has a bit of a double edged meaning to it. It was an album release only in England but the song was released elsewhere in Europe and North America, and it hit number six in France. It was off their second album, Regatta de Blanc. And if you've ever heard the song, it kind of starts out slow and brooding. It's not a big poppy number that you think the police have. And then it kind of gets into the chorus. And it's quite a highlight to hear the song live in concert. So it's one of those ones that you would play when it's, you know, the dark is just starting to come. Dusk is just beyond and you put on Bring On The Night, and you kind of set the mood for yourself right then and there. So Bring On The Night is my number five. Goodbye.
Nice. Has, Good one. And so, Ryan, what's next on the jukebox, buddy? Oh, next on the jukebox. Um, for me, I'm going to uh, New Zealand um, mm. to the 80s. Yeah, this will be uh, definitely an obscure pick for most people. But um, if 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 you happen to be listening from New Zealand or Australia, you probably actually know it because it was a big hit there. Um, uh, it, it even I, I believe it's one of their biggest hits of all time. Um, the band is called Pop Mechanics, and that's Mechanics with an X. Um, there was another band called Pop Mechanics that spelled the way Mechanics is spelled, who later sued them. And so the, the, I believe they had to change their name eventually. But I've always known this song as the Pop Mechanics. Um, the name of the song is Jumping Out a Window. I believe it's their biggest hit. And I don't know when it came out, uh, uh, early 80s. It, it came to my attention when it was featured in one of my favorite horror movies, Strange Behavior, a.k.a. Dead Kids. Uh, and it features lyrics like, jumping out a window, landing in a horror show. But it's really the atmosphere and the, and the tone of the song, you know, even though it, this is an eighties pop band, um, it has a very uh, menacing, gloomy sound to it. It's, 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 it's fairly insidious and, and um, eerie, I guess is the word I want to use. Um, but I've always loved it. And I always stick it on uh, my Halloween mixes because it just, it just fits that, that, that feel, that vibe so well. And it happens to be a very catchy and fun and good song on top of it. You just hide yourself away seen the movie it's got louise fletcher doesn't it yeah 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 um uh of course now i'm blanking on the rest of the cast but um i actually covered it in the uh first season of of uh, my horror review show um halloween horror picks but back then i didn't know what i was doing so i almost don't recommend watching that first season it's that rough <laughs> <laughs> but i i regret that i covered so many of my favorites on the first season because i can't even go back and look at them <laughs> Well, I definitely look forward to hearing this because when you said New Zealand, I thought you were going to say split ends. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it has it has that feel because it's um, at the earliest this might this song might be from 1979. Um, I think that movie, uh, if I remember correctly, it might be 1980. It might be 1980. Yeah, it's 80 or 81. Somewhere yeah. in that range. Yeah. So, so the song might be as old as 1979, but it has an 80s feel to it for sure. What I think I love most in these kinds of songs we're talking about tonight, I, I pick similar ones, Ryan, where they aren't identified outside of the blob, of course. Yeah. <laughs> that one's very upbeat. But, you know, most of them are uh, more about the ambiance than about the content in terms of the Halloween or the spooky connection. And that, right. that's a great one. So, Nathan, what brings up your second song? Yeah, kind of my song fits in sort of perfectly with that with that same sort of feel where you're kind of interpreting the lyrics. Uh, the last two songs that we talked about, you can interpret the lyrics in a number of ways. This is uh, from an artist that she's done a lot of songs that would probably qualify for someone making a spooky horror movie or horror songs list. And that's Kate Bush. This is Get Out of My House. Um, 
from album The Dreaming. Some of her other songs, she did uh, The Hounds of Love, which literally opens with audio from the 1957 movie, um, The Night of the Demon. Nice. And where it's coming, okay. like I see it coming, it's coming through the trees. You actually have that audio sample. It's incorporated in the song. She has a, a song called Hammer Horror, which is, you know, references, relationships, and how they're like Hammer Horror movies. And this song, though, is cool because when she wrote it, uh, it, it's get out of my house. It has that kind of paranoia feel. It references a lot of horror movie imagery. There's someone coming up in the lift. Uh, this house has been locked up and bolted and you are trying to protect yourself. You're inside, but now something is inside with you. And she wrote this song after watching or reading the shining. So hmm. when she was reading, she references that she was reading the shining and kind of a combination of the shining and alien that, you're isolated, you're away from everything and everyone, but then there's something that's inside with you. And the way she describes it is the song itself is the house that's locked up and shut down is similar to a, a human being who's maybe tried to lock themselves away from everyone and doesn't want to be hurt. But guess what? Some of that pain is inside sort of stalking them. And But the imagery in the song and Kate Bush's voice, which is very ethereal and very haunting and discordant at times, creates a, a really uh, dreamlike but sinister ambiance. And I like it a lot. It also has that manic energy, but not in a kind of fun, goofy way, in a sort of unsettling way. You know, there's there. it's a lot of fun to listen to, but it's also a little, uh, a little unsettling to listen to. There's a door in the house. I hear the lift descending. I hear it hit the landing. See the house and the cat. That's awesome. And a lot of people might not know Kate Bush, but Kate Bush was a very successful recording artist, but she had a, a death-like fear of flying. Yeah. And so after about 1979, 1980, she didn't tour. Oh, so, I didn't know that. Huh. So unless you heard her on the radio or you bought one of her records, like she wasn't a big MTV girl, you know, she wasn't like, you know, other British bands of the age, the police, Peter Gabriel, these sort of things that were on MTV a lot. She wasn't because she wasn't around promoting it. So very, very well regarded in the industry, but you wouldn't yeah. see her play Santa Monica. You wouldn't hear her play St. Louis or Kansas city because she wouldn't fly there. Wow. So that's one, one of the reasons why. So my number four, there are certain genres of music that just lend themselves to horror. You can have your instrumental piano type, you know, your Morricones or your John Carpenters. The other genre that just blends itself perfectly to horror is heavy metal. Yeah. And heavy metal, I could have done a top 30 list just with heavy metal songs. I limited myself because I wanted to have a diverse list and I wanted to get some of the ones that were under the cracks that you might not know. But there was one that just screamed at me to need to be on this list. And that was Motley Crue, Shout at the Devil. Nice. And Molly Crusade at the Devil, if you've seen The Dirt recently, was very prominent in that uh, recording, that uh, uh, Netflix miniseries. It was written by bass player Nikki Six. But as you can bet by listening and looking at the title, Shout at the Devil, you know what they're calling for. It's not going to be a song about the love between a mother and a daughter. It's going to be about people <laughs> with angst, screaming, 
inner anger and screaming at the devil for everything that they've got. It was written by Nikki Six. Six was experimenting with Satanism and wanted the title mainly for marketing. All right. Mm. He wasn't really a devil worshiper, but thought that the lyrics and symbols would attract fans. Because this is the, t- the time when uh, Judas Priest was dealing with their Satanism songs. Uh, Black Sabbath was in there. Heyday. R- Ronnie James Dio was shouting it. Everybody was kind of jumping on that bandwagon. And they wanted in on that prize. So it, it's there also, the fans did love it. This is their most played live song. It's played over 1,500 times in concert. The song played in season two of Stranger Things, for those people that are listening that enjoy Stranger Things. It charted at number 30 on Billboard, which I don't even think the song was released. So for it to chart at number 30 for an unreleased song is pretty darn good. The album was also entitled Shout at the Devil, and it has been certified four times platinum in the U.S., with over 4 million copies sold. Some of the songs you might know off that is Too Young to Fall in Love and Looks That Kill. But you look at the album cover, you hear the song, you can feel the energy, you can feel the anger, you can feel the teenage angst, you can feel that 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 body of men and women just wanting to scream. You can f- The hormones are bubbling and this song lets it all out. So Shout at the Devil, number four for me. Nice. So what do you got there, Ryan? Uh, well, my next one I think is is um, one of my classic uh, horror songs. Um, although weirdly, it's more than just a horror song to me. There's some there's some depth to it too, which I'll talk about in a minute. Um, surely, uh, any of your horror fans that are listening um, have heard this song at the very least because it opens and closes uh, from dusk till dawn. Uh, the song, of course, is Dark Night by The Blasters. It comes to us from their 1985 album, Hardline. Um, but, you know, I mean, the first I heard of it, it certainly was in the 90s when I, when I saw it in, in From Dustle Dawn. Um, the opening lyric is, Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. And uh, it proceeds to tell a story of a small town and uh, a stranger, you know, as in, in many small towns, you know, out, uh, uh, outsiders come and they're distrusted. They're not to be, you know, uh, associated with, etc. And a, a new boy moves to town and he starts dating, um, you know, one of the, one of the young girls in the town and gossip and, and, and uh, bad juju occurs. And, um, uh, the, the, the end of the song is fairly vague. It's not clear exactly what happens, but, um, perhaps somebody has been drinking, perhaps somebody is, uh, um, 
been calculating this, but uh, a gun rings out and uh, the girl screams. And we're left to believe that the boy is killed uh, or perhaps she's killed accidentally. It's not really clear, but it's, it's, it's sort of a, um, uh, a horror story about uh, the evils that happen in a small town and people are having prejudice and um, fear of the outsider, that sort of thing, which truthfully is kind of my favorite theme in horror movies. I love any horror movie that's set in a small town. So, Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches Thinking how things used to be Dark night It's a dark night And it has that paranoia, that xenophobia That kind of makes things creepy and scary And the music itself is, is very creepy um, this is another case where it's it's lar- it largely works for a playlist like this because of the sound. You don't have to get into the the, the lyrics to uh, be creeped out by it. Um, when you do actually look at the lyrics, it tells a pretty uh, pretty sad, serious story. Um, but uh, it's it's the music itself that I think uh, most lands it on this list for me. That's cool. Have you heard this song, Nathan? I have, and I probably heard it around the same time the 90s you know it probably came to prominence i may even may have been my first real exposure to it or awareness of it was with uh from dust till dawn yeah but it's a very cool song i'm with you i love songs that take place within a small town and have that seediness you know like lurking under the veneer of the small town uh probably why i love david lynch so much yeah absolutely this yeah indeed and, you know, there's a lot of things in the lyrics that are not made clear. But what is clear is that it's a dark night. <laughs> Bad things are afoot. The sun goes down and uh, evil comes out. Yeah, that's awesome. Kind of almost like that Eddie and the Cruisers on the dark side. Like that yeah. kind of feel. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I love those kind of movies. Almost kind of like if you've seen like the Zodiac or the those kind of movies where, you know, crap just happens at night mm-hmm. I, I just love when that kind of stuff happens so and the, and the uh, blasters their um their actual sound is very much like a uh, uh country slash punk mm-hmm. kind of rockabilly kind of sound um so if you can if you can kind of well i guess i guess you're going to play the songs in between this right so i mean uh yeah people will hear it so yeah give us a and, and I won't tell you, ask you to say the name of the bar that they come out of. So, Nathan, what is third on your musical list? Well, man, I bet people were thinking when we said the you know, Halloween songs that this was going to be a lot more upbeat and <laughs> song-wise than it's, than it's been so far. And I, uh, I say that because my song also is on the darker side. And in fact, like in context, is kind of quite dark indeed. And it isn't a song that is about the fun and you know, kind of uh, playful nature of art. It's not necessarily a Halloween song, but I think it works because I tend to like songs that have a kind of personal, almost psychological quality to them. You know, I realized, I said, well, I just have like 15 songs about people being paranoid and depressed. I don't know if these are <laughs> Halloween songs or not, but this one is one of my favorites. I, it's a, it's a favorite song in general. I think it captures the mood of horror really well and it is a kind of song that actually at the same time would sound 
perfectly cool to hear at the back of a Halloween party. This is Dead Souls by Joy Division. And ah, nice. it's kind of made darker by the fact that this is one of the last songs that was recorded uh, prior to uh, Ian Curtis uh, killing himself, committing suicide. And in the lyrics to this song, uh, which create creates a kind of horror imagery and creates that imagery of nightmares at the same time captures a lot of inner turmoil. I mean, there there's not a great deal of lyrics, but lyrics like someone take these dreams away that point me to another day, a duel of personalities that stretch all true realities. And there's the course that just keeps saying, they keep calling me, they keep calling me, they keep on calling me. And there's an insistence to the song. And it, but with Joy Division, if you're familiar, you know, whether it's Curtis's vocals or it's the the skill of the music itself, these songs are very vital and alive. So this is not this song doesn't come off as dour. It comes off as very insistent, but it's energetic, it's fun to listen to. And yet what it's underneath of it, it's capturing uh, a real sort of uh, despair and inner turmoil that's that I find is very poignant. But again, it's a very fun song to listen to it at one level while it does capture and evoke the horror. So for me, that's dead souls by joy division. It's a really cool song. And I do think it captures uh, the spirit of what we're looking for here, but you know, there's a little bit of something more. Perfect. Yeah. And Joy Division was one of those bands that had a brief rise to fame, but because they were started in 76 and they died, the lead singer died in 1980. If you didn't, if you weren't right onto it, you wouldn't have caught it. So I think that's one of the, they got a bit of prestige to them just because they almost got a cult following, which kind of adds to the spookiness and scariness of having the song on the list. Yeah, and they're they're just really good in general. And yeah. the film uh, about Ian Curtis, Con- uh, Control, from I think 2007 or 2008, uh, is really good too. So that's a great addition. Thanks for that, Nathan. My number three is one that when we first thought about this list, I said, this has got to be on in this list. Mm. And it's not one that might immediately pop up because it's not a per se Halloween song. There's not even a per se monster necessarily in the song, but that Sam, the sham and the Pharaoh's little red riding hood. <laughs> and I can remember hearing the song as a kid and my dad with the oldie station. And I would hear this song. And even when I was six or seven, the song it's catchy. It stuck with me. Sam and the sham and the Pharaoh's. If you've never heard them, I wouldn't call them a novelty band, but they had a bit of shtick to them. They came on yeah. with robes. They came on with, you know, I wouldn't say makeup, but they sure made themselves look in a certain way to be look like pharaohs from the Middle East. It's a 1966 song, and it reached number two on the Billboard charts for two weeks. Held off number one by Wild Thing by the Trogs and Summer in the City by the Love and Spoonful. 
So they never could quite reach number two, two, number one, but they reached number two. The other big song by Sam the Sham is the one if you watch Animal House and you guys know the song Wooly Bully. That was their yeah. other big song. Wooly Bully. I can, can't think of that song without seeing um, Je- Belushi in the, in the robe. I just can't do it. <laughs> so they were inspired by Yul Brenner's performance in the Ten Commandments. That's kind of how they wanted themselves to look. But the song itself is creepy. It's almost cringy. When you actually listen to the song, it's very atmospheric. It's really catchy. And it's a story that everybody knows, which into itself can be frightening. Because if you know the original story of Little Red Riding Hood, it can get pretty vicious if you get some of the older versions. Anybody yeah. that's got any of those golden storybooks with the gold seal on the on the, on the stem. I mean, the uh, the creature... The the uh, the wolf, the big bad wolf, gets pretty darn vicious. So it can become a scary story on its own. But the song also has a double entendre. You know, it's layered with scary lyrics and creepy creepy vocals, along with sexual references and innuendo. And the thought of a sexual predator adds to the creepiness of the song, because you know it, it's it starts off at, with the with uh, Sam singing. Almost like he's trying to call on this little young girl. Hey, what's there in the woods? Boom, boom. It's Little Red Riding Hood. And you, you're, the hairs on the back of your neck stand up. Because if you're a dad and you've yeah. got a girl, you're, you're turning that song right off the radio. Oh! Who's that I see walking in these woods? Why, it's Little Red Riding Hood. Hey there, Little Red Riding Hood You sure are looking good You're everything a big bad wolf could want Listen to me! So that's why I thought this was... And, and, and at the same time, it's a fun song. You can just play it on like it's, you know, a take on the fairy tale. So it's got a little bit of both to it. Have you guys, either of you two, know the song? Oh yeah, I'm I'm so glad you picked it because um, yeah, it absolutely deserves one of the top spots on this list. And really, really, it, it would work well on on any Halloween playlist for sure. Alrighty, so um, Ryan, what do you have as your number two? Well, my number two is uh, also, I think, a big classic um, that that deserves mention. Um, before I say what it is, I'll just I'll just say that uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna talk now about an early shock rock legend, and I don't I don't use that word lightly. I don't throw around the word legend or legendary very often. I, I usually try to reserve that for someone who truly um, did something legendary, but this in this case it qualifies. Um, before there was Marilyn Manson, uh, before Guar and. Gigi Allen, uh, Alice Cooper, Kiss. You had Screamin' Jay Hawkins. Ooh, and what a story he has. Yeah, I'm going to let you tell that because I, I, uh, <laughs> I think you know it better than I do. But I will say that uh, um, his probably best-known song is the one I picked, which is I Put a Spell on You. Um, it's from 1956. Now, this song uh, landed on Rock and Roll Hall of Fame's 500 Songs That Shaped Rock and Roll. Uh, it also landed on Rolling Stones, 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. I mean, this is a important song. Um, it inspired 
probably all of those uh, shock rockers I mentioned earlier. Um, Marilyn Manson actually covered it in the 90s, and it, it showed up on uh, David Lynch's movie Lost Highway. Um, but when Screaming Jay Hawkins would perform it live, he'd pop out of a coffin in a, in a cape, in a black cape. Uh, he'd wave around voodoo props with skulls and bones and stuff. And the song is just insane. I mean, he just sounds like he's um, out of his mind. Uh, it's really wonderful stuff. And if anyone in, 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 in the audience hasn't heard it before, you're in for a treat. This is a gem of a song. This is a joy to listen to. I put a spell on you. What what is uh g- give give us his uh, story there, uh, Billy or uh, well, Billy Bill? <laughs> you can call me Billy. You can call me William. Just don't call me late for dinner. That's okay. Um, I don't know the exact story. I was just looking it up, and Screaming Jay Hawkins, while having a prolific voice, also had prolific semen. Let's just put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> what? what is this? Because this sounds, this sounds like a uh, uh, an urban legend, unless no, unless no. he Miyake, like Takeshi Miyake movie. One of the no, yeah. this the, the story behind Screaming Jay Hawkins is almost as bizarre as the songs that he sang. He is known to be prolific in having children with multiple women. Ah, and not, I see, I and, see. And not only is it that, you know, like... you know, Virile is the word you're looking virile, for. Virile, virile. They, they were flowing pretty well out because he, he didn't just have like five or ten kids. <laughs> At one point, the total was up to 57. Oh, my and, God. And, 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 and those close to him, I'm, I'm quoting a, an NPR article, those close to him say it was probably more than 75 kids. Amazing. At one point, I believe when the internet was kind of in its infancy, he had a web a website saying, "Are you one of my children?" <laughs> <laughs> and he actually had a two CD set that's available on on Amazon, where it was a complete sessions of his between ninety and ninety four called "Are You One of Jay's Kids." Oh, that's amazing! <laughs> yeah, because he's let's let's be let's like clarify here a little bit. I mean, he was born in the twenties, so in in nineteen fifty six when this song came out, I mean, he he'd been around for a while, but um, I think he lived into the two thousands. He or died not, on, the, on the twelfth of February two thousand age seventy. He okay, was siring go. children into his late sixties. <laughs> well, I, I guess I really don't use the word legendary lightly. <laughs> no, that's very that's very true. Uh, yeah, he, yeah. he he puts uh, Kareem Abdul or not Kareem Abdul Jabbar, Wilt Chamberlain and Gene Simmons to shame. This man, <laughs> indeed. Well, he has but, the army to prove it. Apparently, yeah. But 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 to talk about the song, the song is an amazing tune. To see him on stage with the bone through his nose and with the cape, yeah, and to give his howl. Yeah. yeah, you you probably had probably five or six of his songs that easily could have been on this list. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. And and I, I I may I may be I may be wrong on this. Uh, this might be an urban legend, but I I, I heard something that um, that when he recorded this song, I don't know if it was this version or you know a, a, an early version or something, uh, that the whole band, including himself, was drunk. <laughs> um, I don't know if that's true, but it's one of those things that it, it almost it, you want to believe it because. 
the the energy is so um, chaotic. I mean, he, he he's scary. <laughs> it's great stuff. <laughs> yeah, you can't I, tell which wonder, which way he's going. You know, it just sounds I, like he's going to leap right through the headphones and and kill you. <laughs> yeah, the, the story I've heard is he he can't even remember recording it. He, he was that. <laughs> it's like Stephen that, King. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah, it's it's uh, the whole maximum overdrive again because he had he would famously drink his drink his butt off, go record, and then go to some club and play somewhere. That's great. That's that's screaming Jay Hawkins. Yeah, yeah. And and obviously he picked up the odd time. Yeah. So yeah. Anyways, His song yeah. Little Demon was on my kind of runners up. Uh so exactly. He's yeah. So if anybody hasn't heard, I concur with Ryan. If you haven't heard, I put uh, uh I put a spell on you. And while you're listening to I Put a Spell on You by Screaming Jay Hawkins, flip over to the CCR version. Yeah. Or you have Bette Midler singing oh. it at the end of Hocus Pocus. Oh, okay. Well, there you go. Uh, John Fogarty. John Fogarty with CCR does a really good slowed down kind of yeah. soulful version of it. It's but very Brett cool. Midler has her own little spin on it too. So yeah, the song is timeless. It indeed. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Nathan, what do you have as your number two song on the hit list parade? Uh, for something completely different. Um, <laughs> nudge, nudge, <laughs> wink, wink. Right. <laughs> yes. So this is a song that actually does reference, uh, in a sense, Halloween or uh, one of the holidays that kind of inspired the Halloween that we celebrate now. And But it's very different. This is more in the uh, ambient kind of folk Celtic range of things. So this is not a song that's necessarily spooky, but has more of a kind of uh, celebratory feel to it. But it's also very... Uh, it has a almost phantasmal sort of sensibility. And this is from uh, Lorena McKennett, who is Canadian there, Bill. And uh, she, she's Canadian singer songwriter. She also, but she really deals with uh, music that has very Celtic and middle Eastern sort of influences and styles. And uh, she's, she's done so many songs. They probably could be in this sort of uh, Halloween or fall rotation because of their nature. They are, uh, she does a, audio version of the or song version of the highway man the the kind of classic ghost story poem that's very haunting that's very creepy that and it's long enough that it tells a story but the song that i've uh, chosen is uh it's all souls night and it basically is talking about the traditional celebration of Samhain and the imagery and the music itself create this feeling of it's very uh, jubilant, it's very haunting, uh, but it's all about the celebration and the kind of uh, the bonfires, the dancing, and all of that. But not in a not not again horror imagery, but taking it from the perspective of those pagans who might have actually celebrated that way. It has a uh, a bent that is trying to capture more of a historical feeling, but the song itself is very fun to listen to. In the late 90s, she did one that's equally good and could equally be on this list was The Mummer's Dance. And that one got a lot of radio play, I remember. So it's quite possible that uh, if you don't recognize the name Lorraine McKenna, uh, excuse me, if you don't recognize the name Lorraine McKenna, you may have heard some of her music. But a lot of Celtic influences. It's a great song on in the background. It's a great song just to sit and listen to. And uh, I like it a lot. So All Souls Night. Uh, and if you haven't heard The Mummer's Dance, check that one out too.
Yeah, she's a, a gem of Canadian that probably, you know, it, it, they, she's done some stuff in the States, but probably not quite as wide as her talent might actually uh, dictate. I remember uh, uh, being exposed to her in the 90s. And uh, in fact, um, talking about music and using music to woo <laughs> a potential love interest, <laughs> I remember buying one of her CDs for my first girlfriend uh, back in the 90s. So. Yeah, which might have been Book of Secrets. That was her like that was the album that most of the songs we're talking about. I don't think all Souls Night, but I know Mummer's Dance and the Highwayman was on there. Perfect. Yeah. So everybody check out Lorena McKennett. She's obviously talented and uh has got quite a few songs and she's got a little bit of horror to her, so that's awesome. And I, I just happened to be flipping over to something on my Facebook, just I wanted to check something super quick, and I got something that's completely relevant to our conversation. Okay. It's a bit of an aside, but it says it's from the website Metal Injection. Dave Grohl reveals he almost joined Gwar. I saw that, that makes, today. <laughs> that makes total sense, actually. Gore, Gore responds, he made the wrong choice. <laughs> <laughs> so he did, right. he, he could have been in Gore instead of Nirvana or Foo Fighters or, you know, he, he didn't choose to go in with David Bowie. He could have been in with Gore. You know? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Can you imagine him with all that, those, the outfit on? Yeah. Dave yeah. Grohl singing, sick. Of you, who, who is who is the uh, the drummer for Guar? Is that Balzac? I can't I think remember. so. I, yeah, I, I, uh, so so that means he'd be he'd be Balzac, B B A L Z A C. <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Well, maybe he would have come up with his own monster, his own alien monster. But uh, I yeah. I think you know I obviously Guar is being funny, but I think that I'm glad that we both have Dave Grohl separate from Guar. Guar is great as they are, but you know I feel like he would have just been absorbed. Yeah, yeah I, I, I can't see him being an interplanetary space traveler. I just can't see that being in Dave Grohl. You know? He was a Muppet at one point. So, <laughs> so um, <laughs> sorry, audience, we kind of went on a, 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 a tangent there, but I just thought it was too good not to bring up. It would totally had to be brought up. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. To be, all right. So for my number two is a song that was originally released by one artist. But it's been but done by so many others. I like one of the covers better. And that is Season of the Witch. Oh, yeah. Very cool. Which, Great which is probably my obvious song on the list. Oh, but it was originally released in 1966 by Donovan. Donovan yeah. Leach on his seminal album, Sunshine Superman. And as an aside, just doing a touch of research on this. Jimmy Page and John Paul Jones, later to be in Led Zeppelin, were very well-known session musicians who played on the album and may very well have played on the original song, but they're not given any credit on it. Uh, this song reached number 23 on the Billboard charts, but it's been covered by many, many, many artists, including, uh, who did I write down here? Stephen Stills, uh, Al Cooper. It, it was a, a pretty decent hit for Joan Jett. And recently, in the in the horror movie "Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark," Lana Del Rey did a version oh, of "Season yeah. of the Witch." That's kind of good too, which is a good version of it. I agree, it's a good one. But the version I like best is Vanilla Fudge. Oh, I'll have to listen to that. Yeah, Vanilla Fudge was known in the late '60s. They kind of merged a bit of heavy metal, a bit of psychedelia, a, yeah. you know, straight ahead rock, and they slowed down the tempo. So they did songs like Paperback Rider. They did songs like You Keep Me Hanging On. And they brought it down an octave in the voice. 
and they slowed down the tempo. And their version of Season of the Witch is haunting. Awesome. Absolutely brilliant. And when Nathan plays this song, I hope he plays the beginning because you can kind of get the sense of what you're getting into. A vanilla vanilla fudge song is an experience. Yes. (laughs) Because if you're used to the song at a certain, like they do some Beatles stuff and you're used to Beatles tempo and then you hear vanilla fudge do it. They might do something four or five seconds later than you're used to it. Mm. Yet, you love it. Like if you're used to, you keep me hanging on by the Supremes. I much prefer the vanilla fudge version. I love that song. And so it's creepy. And one, um, version of the song they played, uh, Donovan did in a show that I just watched that Nathan turned me on to that we have been meaning to talk about is that it was in a scene of brand new or sorry, brand new cola flavor. Cherry, brand new cherry. Oh, oh that's brand right. new cherry. It, it was just, it was in a scene of that. And that was a really good show. The The song was also played during an important scene in George Romero's 1973 movie, Season of the Witch. Yep. And so also, it put, it's the uh, it's the closing credits song for To Die For. Uh, yeah, they, use it, they use it really effectively, the Donovan version. They use it really effectively in there where... Um, is it Ileana Douglas? I forget who is like roller, not roller skating. So she's ice skating over uh, without spoiling who it is, the, the dead body that's frozen in the lake. And she's like ice skating, uh, you know, circles around <laughs> the corpse while that song plays. Yeah, the, the, what I like about the song, the vanilla fudge, it's a slow, melancholy, psychedelic, creepy, deep, foreboding song. The irony of it is, is it's not even about witches. Yeah, It has witch in the title, but it's more a take on the hippie culture and society as a whole and how spooky the world is. Yeah, Kind of like, you know, how alternative it is to be a witch, kind of how alternative it is to be a hippie. So that's kind of where the song is coming from. But it it's such a, a creepy title and a creepy foreboding sound that it kind of fits into all the Halloween. Any Halloween movie usually has it somewhere in the background. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. Good pick. It's a good one. And I, so, I, I've never heard the Vanilla Fudge version, and I, and I like that band, so I'm, I'm excited yeah. to hear this. You're, I have a feeling I'll be getting in my next Facebook update, Vanilla Fudge's mm-hmm. Season of the Witch in his October list. Yes, yeah, it's, very, very possible. Yes, very in possible fact, I, I'm, in fact, I'm almost positive it will. <laughs> <laughs> so now, put on, put on, put on Neil Peart drum solo. <laughs> <laughs> we are at our number ones. All right. So Ryan, I know, has been messaging me for a while saying, I've got my number one, Bill. I've got my number one, Bill. Uh So Ryan, (laughs) with all of this built-up anticipation that Nathan and I both have, what is your number one? Well, uh, you think you guys have anticipation. Let me tell you, uh, this song was one of those holy grails for me for decades. Um, 
it, it it's such an obscurity and such a, um, a, a a sort of lost mystery song. There was no information about it. It was impossible to find. You just couldn't get it anywhere. And at some point in the early 2000s, Some Kind Soul placed it uh, on YouTube. And it was like, Thank God, the internet's good for something, you know, <laughs> because <laughs> it's, it's I, not just negative crap. It's actually good for stuff. <laughs> As I discovered this in the '90s in film school, and it was on my list of of things to find for, I mean, I would say at least ten, twelve years, uh, maybe. 2006, 2007, 2008 is maybe when I finally found it on YouTube. So yeah, at least 10, 12, 13 years. Um, the way I discovered it, uh, first I'll tell you what the song is. The song is called It Came in the Night. And it is absolutely the catchiest earworm you're ever going to hear. Um, it's catchy as hell, creepy as hell. It's a perfect, fun Halloween song. Things that go up in the night the artist ryan it comes to us from a quote-unquote band named a raincoat which is a pseudonym for uh, a musician named andy arthur the song itself was recorded in 1976 and he cut it as some uh, you know a, a, a seven inch single and that's it i mean if you happen to be one of the lucky sons of bitches who bought you know maybe there was a pressing of like 500 of these things or something right if you got this thing um that was it you had it no it didn't have radio play it wasn't a hit but the way it got out is that kenneth anger discovered it at some point and he used it as his uh, music track for um i don't know his third or fourth cut of his um haunting avant-garde short film rabbit's moon now when I was in film school, I was exposed to the films of Kenneth Anger, and Rabbit's Moon was my favorite of his films by far. And when I bought the VHS, I'm dating myself here a little bit, I bought the VHS, um, the version that they had on the VHS was the shorter cut that included the, um, the song, it came, it came in the Night. And that's the soundtrack for the entire thing. It literally plays twice. Just song starts, plays till completion, starts again, plays till completion. And it, like I said, it's catchy as hell. And it got in my head and stayed there for a, over a decade. <laughs> and like I said, eventually I found it. And uh, now it's on Spotify. And it goes on all of my Halloween mixes, playlists, etc. It is the perfect Halloween music. So anybody listening, it is an accessible song. Yeah, you can find it now. And, uh, you know thank i don't know who to thank really to whoever that <laughs> kind person was back in the 2000s who put it on youtube um i think i think there are two things that really happened is kenneth anger got it out there and everyone was clam everyone who found it was clamoring for you know the song and then somebody was kind enough to put it up on on youtube same thing that exposed a lot of people to it and somehow it got added to uh spotify and so now it's sort of readily available 
So was it ever part of even an EP? No. 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 In fact, if you try to look up anything about A. Arthur uh, or A. Raincoat, you're going you're gonna to hit a brick wall. I mean, Dangerous Minds put out a little story about it one time, but it's so brief. They don't say anything. They basically sum it up and say he's a mystery man. Um, uh, I think if you look at Discogs, um, a Arthur is credited as like a, ses- a session musician, yeah, a session musician or a songwriter on like one other thing. <laughs> and I, I vaguely remember, I think Spotify has um, another album of his or something. I remember listening to some other tunes of his at one point, but this song in particular is nothing like any, any of that other stuff. And of course, the other thing is Andy Arthur, A Arthur. I mean, is that is it really even credited to the same person? I mean, nobody seems to know. Um, this other album, this other music. I don't know. He's a mystery. He's a real mystery. So is there any photographic evidence of who this musician is? Um, there's, uh, I think there's a, a photo of one of his albums that you can find online and there's a person on that album. It could be <laughs> Whether anybody. That's him. Yeah, it could have been stock, you know, a stock photo. I mean, who knows? I really, he could be dead. He could be my next door neighbor. I wouldn't know. <laughs> could be the Unabomber. You have no idea. Indeed. Yeah, this is just one of those sort of perfect storms of, and, and and there have to be like millions of these, right? There have to be so many people out there who've done something creative and put it out in the world and it wasn't received, you know, bad luck, nobody heard it, no promotion, whatever, and it disappeared into the cracks. And um, then one day somebody, you know, kicks over a, a rock and finds it and it's like, what is this? This is amazing. Um, I'm sure that happens all the time, but uh, uh, in this case, uh, it happened to me and haunted me for years well that's that's awesome ryan thanks for bringing that to our attention and yeah. and while i have you here i know that you talked about some of the things that you were promoting at the beginning and i'll give you time at the end right on. but is there anything you're working on right now that you'd let, like to have people know about or be aware of I'll, I'll just mention uh briefly that um i'm hosting a a new uh web series on youtube called macon county movie club and uh i'll kind of get into it later but in the meantime um uh, if you're interested in checking it out, definitely go subscribe to the LA Frankenstein channel, uh, on YouTube. Uh, the first episode airs on October 15th. So there might not be a lot of content on the site now, but that channel is going to have something like five or six or seven shows. There's a bunch of shows in production and mine is one of the first or second to, um, they have new episodes come out. So keep, keep that's, subscribe and keep your eye out for it. That's I think I was one of the first 20 subscribers. So maybe I get a button or something. Yeah. 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 We'll, we'll make <laughs> stickers or something and uh, send them to you. <laughs> awesome. So Nathan, I can't wait for your number one. What do you got there, buddy? Before we do, I let's go back for a minute to it came in the night. That is a very cool, very weird song. And, and the, the short film rabbit's moon that it's, attached to is very strange too and very cool yeah and there's links to both of them in the show notes for the episode uh but i totally know what you mean ryan about that you find you hear a song and or you hear it somewhere once and then maybe you never hear it again and it ties in with bill said at the beginning when you have the mixtape that it melts down or breaks i had a tape where i taped nothing but songs i had caught on on uh you know like probably public radio or something that some like college kid was playing at two in the morning and there's, there's songs that I will probably never hear again. I'll type the lyrics into, uh, you know, a search engine looking for them and we'll never find some of these songs. Um, yeah, I've got one now that I, same thing. I was driving over Mulholland, uh, um, 
the Mulholland Pass, and it was late at night, and I was on some radio station, and this incredible song came on that was about a plane crash. It was about the last moments before the plane crashes. So it was a song like from the point of view of the people on the plane as it's about to crash. And it, and I was like, what is this? This is incredible. Didn't get a name. Didn't get a, the yeah. lyric. Nothing. By the time I got home, that's all I could really remember. And I've never been able to find it. <laughs> right. I've got stuff from the 90s kicking around like that. And I, I had some of them on this one tape. And then uh, they, uh, you know, tape gets destroyed and you're like i've never ever come across that again and uh this next song that's my number one was a song that was like that for a very short amount of time but i think it was it was popular enough in the 90s for a very very um small window that it it caught on a little bit because it was used in things later and then uh you know people did covers of it but it had it's not on it, it i think the feeling it's going for and the imagery uses is in some ways not unlike, you know, it came in the night. Uh, but it's a it's a little it's a little sexier than that. This mm. is Goodnight Moon by Chivalry. Uh it's my number one song. And have you guys heard this one? Yeah, and actually you I this is amazing because I haven't thought of this song in forever too. So I same exact thing. I I, I remember this song from back in the day and I completely had forgotten about it until you just said it. Fantastic. Yeah, and for anyone out there listening, and you're not sure if you heard it, I know it was played. I I only know this because I read it, not because I watched it. But I it, it apparently it it did air in one of the later seasons of Dawson's Creek. It came out I want to say in '99 or 2000, and it was used though. It played over the entire end credits of Kill Bill Volume Two when Uma Thurman is driving in her car, and it's a black and white at the very end, and the song plays. But Good Night oh, Moon by that. Yeah, it, it it was cool because. It doesn't necessarily fit with what's going on, but you know, uh, Tarantino he 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 matches his songs with a certain mood he's going for, and yeah. it's a very moody uh, song. It's a very cool song, and it has uh, some uh, bluesy rhythms to it. It has a very creepy vibe. It is a, like a lot of the songs we've mentioned here, where it's imagery evoking one thing, and story wise might be saying something different. But this one has a lot of like horror imagery into it. I believe that. The first time I heard it, like you're saying, I heard it on the radio and thought, I have to find this song because she just said something about uh, when the darkness comes in to kiss my face and eat my head. And I thought, well, that's very evocative. <laughs> and there's imagery all through that. You know, there's a there's a shark in the pool and there's a witch in the tree and there's a crazy old neighbor and he's watching. I mean, she's just ticking off the boxes. Oh, but that's cool. the sultry sound of the song is very cool. It's very... Uh, interesting good night moon is of course a children's book but there's no relationship here other than that title which is also kind of cool uh but it to me it creates that mood that's perfect for halloween again and perfect for a party perfect for just listening on your own it, ha- it it takes all of that and it's again the isolated person in the house alone and these dark forces are coming in on them it captures some of you know it goes back to uh somebody's watching me you know it's got some of that it's got get out of my house in there and but I find it's a song that's just infinitely, uh, you know, you can always listen to it at almost any time because of uh, a combination of the lyrics and then the, the the quality of it, the way it kind of brings you in. The beginning, the beats of the beginning song sound very mysterious. They're very strange. But you get into this certain rhythm and she just brings you all the way through the song. Uh, you know, it's a song I could listen on repeat for a couple of times. We're like, okay, you know, maybe by the fifth time I'm ready to turn it off. 
remember the song well enough. I don't think that I could add to it, but what you said, it, all of that sounds right to me. Um, you know, I kind of had this vague recollection. We had, we had a really great um, alternative station in Minneapolis where I was from in the nineties. And uh, I, I want to say whether it was uh, late nineties or early two thousands, I want to say I was exposed to it at that time in Minneapolis before I moved away. And uh, it makes sense to me that it was something I heard on that station. Um, but uh, that's kind of my, my recollection of it. I'm actually going to definitely look forward to listening to it in a minute. <laughs> I was going to say, and that might be part of your new list. Yeah. And, and she whispers a lot of the song too, Bill. So it's a very kind of, again, like oh, I say, okay. sultry, whispery. Does it have, does it have kind of that, some of that like PJ Harvey? Kind yeah. Of PJ Harvey's like... a good comparison. I think PJ Harvey, she's a little bit rock. She's got a little bit of a bluesy, jazzy, jazzy yeah. might be a better way to, to talk about what's going on there, kind of jazzy, but, um, but the mood of the, of the song, is just very different. Like it has, it, it's not unlike some of the songs we've been talking about and some of those older songs, like I put a spell on you, you know, it has that vibe or, or something like uh, black magic woman, you know, uh, but different than that, but it has that particular s- simple, but effective beat that, plays throughout the song, keeps the tempo going, and creates a really kind of spooky atmosphere. So I'm definitely going to have to look this one up and check it out. And I will definitely re-listen to this episode and hear the little clip that you insert. Yeah. So that's awesome. So my number one is from a band that I literally could have chosen six songs from (laughs) for this at a minimum. And I go back to my number two choice of heavy metal. No, it's not Halloween. No, it is not Dawkins. This is Iron Maiden. Okay. And Iron Maiden, you could choose, you pick an album and you could pick three or four songs to fit this. But I thought I chose one that encapsulated what this season is and what the list is about. And that's from their 1992 self-titled album, Fear of the Dark. Very cool. Fear of the Dark from their album was their ninth album in 1992 and the last with Bruce Dickinson until he came back in 1999. And this was a double album. Fear of the Dark was covered by multiple bands. And for our Gen X listeners, it was part of the rock band video game. So if you've got the video game from 2009, they released it. But the song is absolutely haunting. It starts out nice and slow. And it builds and then it becomes a frantic song of fear and paranoia, obviously a fear of the dark. The individual in the song slowly explains their fear that they have of the dark and then breaks the song breaks into a fast-paced fear when his mind must be going through about 100 miles an hour at this frantic fear that they have of the dark and all the repercussions that happen when the lights go out is reflected in the song. Think of movies like The Babadook, 
or scary stories to tell in the dark or creep show that play off that fear. And this song has it encapsulated perfectly. The other beauty of the song is Iron Maiden has multiple live videos and live LP releases. This is an amazing live song where you may have a crowd of 50,000 people and you can hear a pin drop when the beginning and the slow introduction <laughs> with the with the building and the crowd and all of a sudden you just go and out <laughs> comes Eddie and and Bruce Dickinson <laughs> is running around like a chicken with his head cut off running around that stage. It's an absolutely amazing song and I think Fear of the Dark really is what what represents Halloween and our fans us as fans of horror and sci-fi and fantasy and just basically anything dark represents. Do you guys know the song? Oh yeah, yeah it's a good one. And uh, is this a song that you would feel comfortable playing on this list? Oh, for sure. This is uh, almost essential. I, I, uh, I don't listen to as much metal as you, but um, I do have a metal pick on my sort of alternates, and uh, uh, I think this is a better pick than mine. <laughs> so, and the irony is that apparently the uh, bass guitarist Steve Harris, who was kind of one of the founders of the band, wrote this song because he was afraid of the dark. <laughs> yeah it's cool i like it better than like yeah, i had a couple too i had one by ministry i had a metallica song this is better than those we certainly cross genres from crooner songs to heavy metal songs to country songs to psychedelia so we kind of tried to span it we had instrumental songs with burt baccarat so yeah we had, we had everything. Celtic pagan songs. Celtic pagan songs. Canadian Celtic. Celtic I mean, Ke- Canadian Celtic pagans. It sounds like a, <laughs> that sounds like a, a hockey team, right? That, yeah, they're they're in the northern division up there with the Leafs and Habs. <laughs> they're the really rough ones. Yeah, <laughs> they're in the, the the minor leagues of the Quebec division. In <laughs> they have stone stone uh, <laughs> hockey yeah. sticks. Yeah, they're uh, they're goaltenders in a nutshuck. <laughs> So That's funny. Um, I think what will be fun I, here I, is because I, I, I just want go to ahead, say, so Ryan, go ahead. No, I just want to say real quick that I really hope that uh, the listeners do uh, add their own picks because I, I want them. I want to add them to my giant list of yeah. Halloween and, songs. And if, so if please, you guys like, please add your picks. I was going to say, if you guys like what Ryan brings to the table and who wouldn't, as I said before, he has a list that is ever growing. Yeah. And if you subscribe to his Facebook page now, Ryan, you're going to be, by literally tens of people will be bugging you now. <laughs> so, literally oh. dozens. A dozen. <laughs> Sorry. Let me go. Oh, in, yeah. in obscure pockets of Midwest USA. Well, I'm only gonna I'm only gonna accept them in batches of 13. So I'm just gonna say that right now. Or 666. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Okay, right. right. Uh, time. Uh, yeah. If you like what Ryan's got, please let him know because all of us are, are, are music files and cinephiles. So, you know, if you got more, please let us know. Yeah. Now, does anybody have any final thoughts before we get on to the honorable mentions? I, I'd like to just say, 
I think there's some songs here that if you're thinking, oh, well, why wasn't that included? Like for me, like a song, and that might come up in honorable mentions. It's not that the five songs I picked I thought were better than, say, something like Thriller or right. Bad Moon Rising or anything like that. But the, again, those are songs, they're so deeply ingrained to me that they almost, uh, you know, they're they're all year songs, even though, you know, something like Thriller is very specifically Halloween. But I, I kind of wanted to... You know, I didn't just pick things to be obscure, but when I think specifically like making the mixtape, my thought would be, hey, most people have heard Thriller. Most people have heard this. That if I'm making a mixtape, these songs felt just a little bit more personal to me. So it wasn't that I thought these are necessarily better than maybe the what would be considered the most, you know, the top five most uh, famous Halloween songs. But yeah, me, me too. My, my list. I mean, you know, I. I started with the ones that I think speak to me the most and that are sort of special to me in some way. And, uh, you know, I just whittled it down from there, but yeah, same thing. Obviously there's a, there, there are tons of classics that we didn't touch on and, um, and those are fine, but you know, Hey, when you, when you only get five songs, you know, you kind of want to, uh, uh, throw some, some, some support to something that maybe people, people haven't heard. Exactly. And I think this is going to play out when we come with our honorable mentions, because, all of us are audiophiles. All of us are cinephiles. All of us pretty much came up, came up with our list without doing a whole lot of research other than maybe how high a song charted or what have and you. And no crossover, for at least for the top five. And no yeah. crossover. That's amazing. Yeah. Because you'd think, you know, everybody would have a certain song that's a standard. No, no. All of ours were different. So why don't we go to our guest first, Ryan? What were some of your... I know you probably had 10 to 15 honorable mentions. Why don't you uh, I'll, uh, I'll oblige name, the audience? Yeah, I'll name like five or six or seven here. Um, well, I guess I'll just start with the metal one. Um, uh, are you guys familiar with a band called T-Ride? Um, no. They were no, sort I'm of not, a late, actually. Give them a look. They, they, they were a late entry to the metal genre at a time when grunge was king. And so nobody was really t- taking them seriously. But... Um, uh, but they broke through the noise for me a little bit back back then, and uh, uh, they had a, a single, and the, the name of the song was "Zombies from Hell," and it's it's kitschy and it's funny and it's but it's metal as uh, I'm about to swear there is metal as hell, and um, I think you'll like it. It's fun. It's a fun metal song at a time when bands were just not recording metal music as much so it's zombies from hell we're, we're talking um, 90, also, i was gonna say 92 93 that kind of thing yeah i would say i would i was in high school uh so yeah yeah about that time i would say could have been 91 could have been uh no later than 94 yeah um also uh you know i'm sure rob zombie and white zombie uh we all thought of it um I still love out of all the the metal song or excuse me the horror songs that that, that that you can find there. I just really love that song. What? It's <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> just something about that song that just I just come back to it all the time. And if I got room on a on a Halloween mix, uh, you know, can't go wrong if, with what. I was gonna say, of course, Dragula would fit into that just as easy. And that's but the yeah, thing. There's the living so dead girl. Many. He's got tons of yeah. The red red Kruvy. I mean, there's just yeah. so many. But uh, demon speeding. But um. But yeah, what I don't know. There's something about that. It opens with uh, uh, I think it's I can't remember what movie it's from. But it's from Axe, maybe or The Child, or I forget. But it opens with the girl saying, um, or the woman says something like, "What were you doing in the cemetery?" She goes, "I don't have to tell you anything." That's the opening of the song, and it just gets me every time. <laughs> anyway, um, 
Uh, let's see what else. I uh, thought you were going to say striper for sure in terms of metal. <laughs> <laughs> striper. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm not besmirching you, Ryan. It's, I, I say that because I remember <laughs> back in the day, some of these radio stations, they get to Halloween and they would just play striper songs like to hell with the devil and like thinking they're like <laughs> Halloween songs. In reality, they're just like bad Christian music. Yeah, they're just bad Christian <laughs> proselytizing or whatatever. Yeah, right. Uh, um. Although, hey, speaking of uh, Christian stuff, this isn't Christian exactly, but Devil Town by Daniel Johnston is one of my picks. Yeah, yeah, there you go. I love that song. It's just a minute long. It's haunting. It's just him, and it's not really about um, horror stuff. It's about him not fitting in. But lyrically, it's like, I was living in a devil town, and all my friends were vampires. But it's really about his not fitting in. Beautiful song that happens to use horror imagery. Um, short and sweet. It's a good song. Um, something kind of catchy, and I've I've always loved it, and I always I, I, I put it on Halloween mixes, and people think it doesn't belong, but I love it anyway. Dancing in the Moonlight by King Harvest, which uh, is like a '70s pop song, and it seems to be about uh, um, uh, witches or or just hippies uh, getting naked and dancing in the moonlight. Hard to tell um, the difference at that time. Exactly. <laughs> That's a great song. It's one of my, my, uh, my wife's favorites. It has a very distinctly fall feel to it, though I feel like it does. Exactly. And it's, it's yeah, you could definitely argue that it doesn't fit, and that's fair. Yeah, but I was going to say, it's got a bit of a poppy edge to it as well. Absolutely. It's, it's, yeah. it's, it's an odd duck, and I try to use it on my Halloween mixes anyway. <laughs> um, it's definitely a crowd pleaser. People love it, so but it doesn't fit. But I love. I think it fits anyway. Um, Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen. Yes. Very, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> very creepy. Very eerie. Um, wonderful song. It was just, I mean, a fantastic song. Used very, very well in Donnie Darko. I remember. Oh, I'd forgotten about that. It's been a while since I've seen that one. Yeah. Uh, let's see. Uh, two more here. Uh, Peekaboo by Susie and the Banshees. Um, oh, good old Susie. Yeah. Yeah. Love Susie. Love this song. It has some very evocative horror images in it. Um, uh, I, I think she uses the language of, uh, like, uh, uh, Jeepers Creepers. Where'd you get those peepers? And then she says creep show a couple of th- it, 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 it uses some horror language and uh, the song itself is, is somewhat uh, disjointed and, and creepy and it's a good one. Uh, and then finally, um, kind of like a garage, a sixties garage, rock song boris the spider um, boris the spider you know it you know it good 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 my, yeah. my <laughs> wife hates my wife hates that song because i sing it and she goes and i go creepy i'll build yeah. it up <laughs> it's one of those songs that like when you start getting into those like you know 60s nuggets um all of those bands recorded each other. So I have no idea who, where it originates from, but uh, I, I've always liked the version by the chords and uh, maybe yes. they were the first to do it. Maybe it's been done, you know, maybe they were the eighth to do it. I don't know. Was, was that not an, an, an Twistle song? Might've been. Yeah. Might've been. I don't, I don't know for sure, but I know in Twistle, that was one of the few uh, who songs that he actually took the lead on. Oh, very cool. So it could be anything else you wanted to mention there, right? Uh, that's good enough. I'll see what you guys have. Okay. Uh, Nathan, what do you have as your runner ups or honorable mentions? Honorable mentions. And you mentioned, uh, Susie and Banshee's one of my runner ups. There was one point when I was looking at all these songs, I thought, you know, there's enough good 
songs just named Halloween that I almost thought I'd be yeah. cheeky and just make my one through five Halloween like <laughs> 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 different artists right. because Sonic Youth has a really fun song called Halloween. Uh, Dead Kennedys, of course. Yes, Dead Kennedys. The Ramones have a song called, uh, not the Ramones, I'm sorry, the Misfits have a song yeah, called Yeah, I was going to say uh, the Misfits Halloween. definitely do. Yeah. yeah, and then Susie and the Banshees have a song called Halloween, uh, which is also right. really fun. And it's cool because it's a little discordant. It feels a little like uh, it, it starts on my end, it goes to something else, and it has that feeling that, you know, it would sound just as well playing in the background of like one of those like garage haunts as it would. Mm. In an actual like Halloween party or something, or just as you're driving along. So I like that one a lot. You mentioned Daniel Johnson and the devil. And there's a there's a good movie out there called The Devil and Daniel Johnson. Yeah. Uh, there's a song that's very kind of creepy to listen to that's done by the um the classic uh blues artist Robert Johnson, who famously, you know, or uh mythically was known as right. the guy who supposedly sold his soul to the devil at the crossroads, you know. Yeah. The blues man and his song, There's a Hellhound on my on my trail, uh, is it's a very creepy song because it is dealing with that imagery of his demons chasing him and of uh, possibly literal hellhounds. There's this deal that he made. Uh it's very interesting because it ties directly into the sort of blues tradition, uses the imagery with the blues artists and the and the musical artists of the time. Some of the things that are going on then maybe aren't as uh, protracted as we see now in terms of all the things that happen to musicians and artists. But there's this turmoil. There's the life on the road. There's the you know the booze and the drinking and everything else that comes with it that, that kind of takes a toll. And you have that kind of coupled with the supernatural imagery. Uh, and along with the fact he was telling everybody he sold his soul. So that's yeah. it makes that a kind of fun. And it has that very uh, austere, creepy sound. It's an old recording. Right. Uh, it's very minimalist, and I love stuff like that, particularly around this uh, this time of year. What, what was the name of the song again? I, it's I, a Hellhound on My Trail, or On My Tail. Let me get the right title. And uh, Hellhound on My Trail, yeah, is the song. And uh, oh, very cool. It, yeah, there's recordings of him uh, playing it. You can find I'll put uh, links in the show note, and it's uh it starts out with just I got to keep moving, I got to keep moving, and. It, it's about him performing and, you know, I think part of what adds to his legend is the idea that, you know, this talent has all come from somewhere, but there's a price to be paid and I want to put as much of this out there as I can before I have to pay the price. And uh, it's a, it perfectly captures, I think, that uh, that artist's conundrum and that, art, that, that challenge and struggle that some artists have. And it captures it in this imagery of the devil and his hounds sort of chasing you down. And um, so it, it's it's pretty cool. I, I like it a lot. And uh, other songs, you know, I love the the Ramones Pet Cemetery song. I can't help it. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's a, such a fun. It's super cheesy. It's a lot of fun, though, uh, to listen to. I really like it. And I, my kids enjoy it. Although I have to tell them, don't go around just singing. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. It's, <laughs> it's a little disconcerting and, when you're on the playground. And, you just... and what's it? Joey Ramone said, if you know more than three chords, you're showing off. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Steve, Stephen King approved. So, you know, it's good. Yeah. It's good, yeah. good to go on that, on that front. But, um, there's also a, a song by Bajas, a uh, Bella Lugosi is dead. That's, it's yes. a lot of fun. It's a very cool, uh, kind of creepy song 
And uh, I, I like that one a lot. And, you know, you can't really go wrong with, with uh, uh, Creedence Clearwater's Bad Moon Rising or Nick Cave and the um, and Banshee's uh, Red Right Hand is an awesome oh, song. Oh, good, good, good. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then I guess the last one I would really mention is Psycho Killer by the Talking Heads. It came very close. What's that? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I that came very close to making uh, the top five. Fun. That also has that kind of manic energy we were talking about earlier. Um, and then you know I said I was done, but the grim grinning ghost song from the haunted mansion ride. Oh, nice. Uh, yeah, that is a lot of fun, particularly if you're looking for something for like the younger set. Uh, it's. Uh, I remember listening to that on the little uh, record. You know, Disney put out a record. And uh, playing that with all the scratches, so it repeats the grim grinning ghost about thirty-two times before it moves on to the next part of the of the record. But yeah, those are my my runners up. I'll just uh, add real quick to what you said about Bauhaus. Um, I've I've always liked the uh, Stigmata Martyr song that um, uh, that that gets so heavily featured in uh, uh, Demon Knight. Is that is that the one uh, where she I, dances to that song? Yeah, yeah, you're right. Yeah, Demon Knight. Uh huh um that, that's another another or wait night of the demons right night of the demon that's it that's yeah. it yeah yeah yeah, yeah. That, night of the demon is such an unfortunate title because there's like five movies with that title and they all and they all have uh they're all very different from each yeah. other so and they all have varying degrees of demons yeah I mean, this the difference here is this one's plural you night of the demon that's right also demons. curse of the demon Night of the Demons is plural. And then there's like, and then there's Night of the Demon, the Bigfoot movie, which has nothing to do with, you know. Oh, yeah, that movie. <laughs> the, that least, like a, the least. That's of a the VOD demons. release. That's a VOD roulette. I don't know, man. I don't, <laughs> that's a rough one. Yeah, I agree. I'm not a fan of that. Um, I, I right. Not the Bigfoot movies are not great to begin with. Mostly, there's one or two good no. ones. Life's too short to watch the bad ones a second time. Exactly. You can deal with Boggy Creek, but you don't want to have to deal with, you know. Yeah, yeah. The other ones. Okay, so for my honorable mentions, I do have a few. And the first artist I'm going to talk about, I think, also encapsulates the true sense of Halloween, and that's Alice Cooper. Yeah. And Alice Cooper, the obvious one is Feed My Frankenstein. But the one that almost made my list was The Ballad of Dwight Fry. (laughs) That's a good one. And and obviously, if you know your cinema history, he was in Dracula's Renfield. He was in uh, Frankenstein. He was in The Bride of Frankenstein. He was in a yeah. whole. He was in The Maltese Falcon. He was in a whole bunch of genre films. He was in The Invisible Man. The man was in a lot. And I thought the song, I, I just got edged out. But that would have been a good one. Yeah, that's uh, a good pick. Yeah, it's a good one. Uh, and of course, Alice Cooper being who Alice Cooper is with the theatrics and the blood and the scares. Yeah. And and quite frankly, if you ever seen concert footage of Alice Cooper from the late 70s and he looks emaciated, he was scary as hell just to look at. Yeah. Um, the Police also had a song, which I thought I should have included instead of Bring on the Night, was Murder by Numbers. Oh, yeah. Which basically just tells you how to kill people. Right. That's essentially uh, the song. Uh, there's the obvious one, Warren Zevon's Werewolves of London. Sure. Yeah. Uh, I went with that. Uh, Iron Maiden, I made reference to before. I almost put Hallowed Be Thy Name. Uh, I almost put The Number of the Beast. Like You could literally go album by album and pick out a couple songs by them. Uh, one that I almost had on my list was Mike Oldfield's Tubular Bells, mm. 
which is scary. And for those of you that know The Exorcist, they sampled part of Tubular Bells in the theme of The Exorcist. Yeah. And so that's a good one to have on in the dark at night with the lights out. Uh, <laughs> for our sci-fi end of our fans, I almost chose Rush's Twilight Zone. I thought nice. that would have been a good one. And for our monster fans, no, it's not the Monster Mash. It's Blue Oyster Cults. Go, go, Godzilla! Nice. <laughs> See, there you uh, go. There's a list with Blue Oyster Cult, and it's not Don't Fear the Reaper. <laughs> and it's don't, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't choose Don't Fear the Reaper. That was too obvious. Now, to go on my Burke Bacharach theme of Nathan, I almost chose Goblin doing uh, Professor Rondo Deep Red theme. I thought yeah. that's a great well, theme. I didn't do movie themes because like, it, it, it felt like there was a whole separate list, but and I know you're not a fan of the movie, but Goblin's uh, Goblin's Suspiria. Uh, Suspiria theme is pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, I mean, just screaming yeah. "witch" in the background is amazing. Yeah. I mean, I think Ryan will agree. Pretty much anything by Goblin yeah. is worth listening to. Yeah. Anybody okay. who's never heard of Goblin, look them up. You're not gonna. I've, I've yet to hear a song where there's actually any lyrics, but they're as prog rock as you can get, and their uh, themes are just phenomenal. Just phenomenal keyboard work in the way that they pace the songs. They're awesome. Uh, I also had Screaming Jay Hawkins on my list. Uh, I had Rockwell. Somebody's watching me. Sure. Uh, I think that went in. Yeah. Charlie Daniels Band, The Devil Went Down to Georgia. Classic. I had to put that in. Uh, Sam the Sham and the Pharaohs also had a song called Haunted House. Yeah. Which is a fun little tune. And the last one I put are because of its association with the movie. And a little bit of the uh, comment of the title, People Are Strange by the Doors. Yes, nice. That's, that's a good one. Yeah. Would have been a good one. So, And, and, I know and there's, a, there's a wonderful cover by uh, uh, Echo and the Bunnymen. There <laughs> is. Oh, that is really Bunnymen. good. Yeah. Which is, is, and it's, it's almost note for note, cut for cut kind of deal. Yeah. It's pretty good. And I know there are certain ones, like nobody said Thriller, nobody said Monster Mash, or nobody said In the Midnight Hour, and those ones, as I said, those people uh, we, we talked about, they're ingrained in our culture. You're almost going to hear those songs at every door and in every Halloween party from 1965 till today. So it's not that they aren't good songs. They're, they're good songs for a reason, but we're just kind of expanding the list and we're yeah. widening the brush kind of deal. When you mentioned the police bill, another police song that was cool that I, even, I didn't even consider it was Synchronicity 2. You know, oh, where they, they kind many of miles away at the bottom of a dark Scottish lake. You know, it's kind of mm. comparing this guy's uh, sort of, um, f- you know, his middle class existential crisis with a creature rising up out of a lake somewhere. It's yeah. a humiliating kick in the crotch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a good one. I mean, the police had a lot. The police were one of those bands where Sting looks all happy. But if you dive into yeah. the lyrics, he has more than one song about suicide. Well, right? even every breath you take is a stalker song. Every breath it's you ta- take is a stalker song. It's a creeper. It's a creeper yeah. song. That it's the same with um, Rod Stewart's Infatuation. Yeah, it's creepier though. The police. <laughs> yeah, the police one because you think you know. I've heard of people that get married to that song. Oh wow! Really? And, and this is their dance song. And do you really know? That's what, what we like to about? call a warning sign. <laughs> <laughs> my friend uh got married to um uh uh symphony uh excuse me sympathy with the devil sympathy uh, for the that's a <laughs> sympathy, sympathy for the devil that was the song he uh he walked on the aisle to afterwards and uh this is a guy who in high school um 
you know, always wore like DSI shirts and spikes all over the place. So he picked that song intent uh, intentionally. <laughs> it's sympathy for the devil. That's a, that's a Halloween song too. Paint it black is a really fun kind of, I mean, the, the reason I didn't choose some of these songs, you know, that they have that feel, but they were almost so obviously about something and not sympathy for the devil, yeah, yeah. but like paint, paint it black is clearly about something else, but it has that feel zombie zoo by Tom Petty's really fun, but it's about, it's about young girls going to a punk club, not really about zombies, even though it references Boris Karloff. Right, That's right. the same thing. Like the the Kinks did their uh, songs referencing uh, uh, Bella Lugosi. Yeah, and you know, like who am I to say my my wedding dance song was Pink Floyd's "Wish You Were Here." Nice. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she's right in front of me. Duh. But the the song was so good, I had to go. Uh, another another example. Uh, getting back to uh, when it's about something other than horror, but shows up on the list anyway. Uh, Ghost Town by the Specials. Um, yeah. Great creepy song, and I think it qualifies absolutely. But of course, it's it's about like you know the clubs being empty and bands can't play because you know <laughs> the towns are empty. Well, and the other one that's like that that gets nominated sometimes is "Zombie" by the Cranberries. Yep, yeah. it has yeah. nothing to do with zombies. Yeah, other than what's going on in uh, Ireland at that point. Yeah, or, you know. So I think we've done a pretty d- darn good job of our lists. I just want to so, throw out one more. Yep. With yep. This. Uh, it's a bit repetitive, but I do like the ba- band of horses. Is there a ghost? I don't know if I know that. I'll, I'll throw well, it in the, in the uh, I'm gonna, yeah I'm gonna write it down right now too because the <laughs> other one I thought of was um ghost riders in the sky yeah sure yep that would have that's almost an obvious one but there's been so many different versions of it and I mean everybody from country and western to pop songs to crooners have done the song and it it, it works it's a freaky song the, the band so, of horses song is interesting because it has that weird feeling it, to me it, it always makes me feel you know, that kind of strange sort of uh, feeling you have when you first wake up, that disorientation that comes when you're kind of halfway between dreaming and awake. And it has that kind of weird, very, very uh, melodic and very kind of laid back, but almost melancholy sort of song. And it has a very fall sort of feel to me, but it captures that, hey, it's it's like being awake. It's like being in the, caught between a dream. It's a pretty, it's a pretty cool song. I don't know if it's the, you know, it's not something you might listen to on repeat, but it has a, it's, it's a nice kind of haunting song for a couple minutes. Yeah, the other one I thought of uh, that isn't really about what it, you'd think is uh, BTO's, or sorry, the Guess Who's clap for the Wolfman. Oh, yeah. cool. <laughs> and and the Wolfman they're referring to is Wolfman, Wolfman Jack. Jack so they, yeah, so they play a song on the radio. It has nothing to do with actually yeah. Wolfman. <laughs> no, it's there's a, there's a bunch of those '60s songs. I, yeah. I of course can't think of it. There's another one I think it's called just Wolfman, and it's yep. the same thing. It's about Wolfman Jack, and <laughs> it's not about yeah. yeah. So if anybody th- can think of anything we've missed, please let us know because we we want to know more. And Ryan wants to include it on his list, <laughs> so please add it to Ryan. The list. <laughs> The list. It will be kind of like uh, 666 songs of evil. That's what he's going to yeah, call it. Yeah, like 666 that. songs of evil. <laughs> <laughs> so being this is a horror movie and a fantasy and a sci-fi action documentary, whatever, <laughs> I, I, I kind of thought it would be fun to keep with the 80s theme. Uh, we're not going to go into a full analysis. Quite frankly, we've ran two hours already. But I don't want to be, I want, I don't want to be remiss and not mention a movie. So I asked each of the participants to choose one 80s horror movie 
that they think would be good to play along with their mixtape. And so you don't have any thorough analysis other than why you chose it, why you think it's a good choice, and why you think it would be appropriate for this. So we'll start with you, Nathan. What movie did you choose for an accompanying movie with the theme? So I chose this movie, and honestly, I've probably talked about this twice somewhere else on Phantom Galaxy years ago, and I think I mentioned it briefly when we had our episode with Greg Morgan for last Halloween, our kind of Halloween special episode, but I felt it it uh, bears repeating because I don't think I got into it too deeply, and it's a movie that I personally feel is very, uh, it, it's, I'd say it's underrated, but I think it's one of those more of those movies, it's almost just, not, it's well rated for the people who've seen it, but it's almost not rated at all because very few people i think have seen it it's a movie that i kind of would have expected it to gain a, a a bit of a cult following but i think because it being a tv movie and one that at least in the early 80s i think it only aired once or twice and then ended up in syndication uh something that people haven't really come across very much even even to this day uh and it's the midnight hour from 1985 mm. and when it aired in 1985 it actually aired on november 1st the day after halloween but it's very much a Halloween-centric movie. I chose it because it it's one of those films that without being a full-blown musical, it actually has a lot of that Halloween spooky songs directly in the film, including, of course, you know, The Midnight Hour, which is the reference to the Wilson Pickett song. When, and, of course, Wilson Pickett's song is more about getting busy than it is about ghosts. But, you know... Um, the movie, The Midnight Hour, and it might be one of the reasons we don't have a really good like Blu-ray or really good DVD of it. Maybe there may be licensing licensing issues with the songs because everything from you know uh, Creedence Clearwater, Wilson Pickett, uh, Depeche Mode, it, like there's all kinds of music in this, and I just wonder if they real, given that it was a yeah. kind of TV movie cookie, I wonder if they really bothered to take the time <laughs> to get the rights. I mean that little red Riding Hood song plays in here. Uh, you know half of the songs we mentioned tonight. Not our songs, but some of the more popular ones we mentioned are in the movie. And The Midnight Hour takes place on Halloween in the town of Pitchford Cove. And if you want an idea for what this movie is like, it kind of feels almost like a weird cross between... You've got Thriller. I think Thriller really inspired it because of dancing zombies and dancing vampires all over the place. There's a lot of old school horror movie imagery, uh, including hordes of zombies walking through cemeteries with the fog rising and there's a really there's a sense of humor about the movie too that also uh gives you that kind of thriller or fright night kind of feel the skate came out the same year uh in 85 and it also has an american graffiti sort of feel to it because the main character phil as as the they they accidentally sort of not accidentally they end up doing something you shouldn't do, which is reading an old scroll from uh, from the <laughs> Puritan days uh, that belonged to a witch out loud in the cemetery, and they summon all kind a grab bag of Halloween monsters. We have witches and vampires. In some cases, the witches and the vampires are the same person, <laughs> and you've got werewolves and goblins and ghouls, little monsters all over the place, and. You've got these kids, these high school kids that have unleashed them. And the cast is a fun cast. You have Sherry Belafonte, uh, LeVar Burton. Uh, you have some some cool ca cameos by people like Kurt Wood Smith, who's a police chief, who says things like, yeah, Halloween, my favorite time of year. You know, as people run into the yeah. station exclaiming that they've seen werewolves. Uh, you have a really fun kind of cameo by Kevin McCarthy as the town judge, who's also one of the curmudgeonly fathers of one of the kids. And 
as the movie progresses, though, you also have this storyline that's kind of a kind of a, a, a touching little romance between um, Phil, the, the the main character, and this this young woman who has come back when all the, the ghouls and goblins come out of their graves. You have this young girl named Sandy, and she's in her 1950s cheerleader outfit. When all these mm. creatures come back from the dead, they all have various agendas. Some of them were killers, so they go about killing and wreaking vengeance on the people who sentenced them to death. Other creatures haven't been out, and so their souls haven't been out so long that all they want to do is go to a good Halloween party, and that's what they do. And you have Sandy, who doesn't knows that she's been dead, but doesn't quite recognize the world around her. It's, you know, she died in the 50s, it's the 1980s. And so a good chunk of this movie is she and Phil wandering the town together and and, and looking for a way to stop the monsters and having a kind of, you know, a romance in the midst, midst of it. And that part actually kind of works. And so there's some American graffiti. Wolfman Jack is actually the DJ on the radio mm. uh, that's, that's, you know, just like he was in American Graffiti. And then there's some Hocus Pocus here, that same plot that has gone through movies like Hocus Pocus and Ernest Scared Stupid and uh, uh, the more recent Goosebumps movie. You know, those are all specifically kids' movies. This one isn't as much, but it is just about tame enough that you could show a kid that likes the uh likes to be creeped out a little bit who likes the makeup effects and things like that and we do have a big musical number where sherry, sherry belafonte is not uh so effectively lip syncing to a sort of thriller style song and all of those zombies and vampires i had a lot of fun with this movie i've enjoyed it i saw it when i was a kid i still like it i think it holds up pretty well are there problems with it? There are. It does feel like there's a couple scenes that should be added here or there. There's a few things missing. You kind of wish they had gone even further with the relationship between the two kids who are sort of, uh, you know, having a first love moment, even though one of them's dead. Like that, the way that's handled, it's really well done. And when Sherry Belafonte hurts her great great grandmother, who sort of is the witch that started all this, and she comes back, and their relationship isn't as uh, fleshed out. You feel like you know sometimes people talk about remaking movies. A movie like this might be perfect to remake because as much fun as it is in this form, there are the pieces there to make something that's even better. So, but I, I like this one a lot. It's probably nostalgia talking a little bit, but it's an eight for me. It's a perfect Halloween movie. It's it's a Halloween party as a film. Uh, so cool. Yeah, I watched this today for the first time, actually. And it, it was fun. It was interesting. I mean, you could tell, I got that feel. One thing uh, that Nathan didn't mention is you could tell this was influenced by Thriller in in the terms of there's some zombies, there's a dance number, which yeah. is kind of a bizarre dance number during a party. But I loved Kevin McCarthy in this. So over the top such an ass mm. yet it was so funny i i really like this now the only thing i didn't know is were they zombies were they vampires or were they vampire zombies i, I couldn't <laughs> tell but. they said many times when anybody would ask that question they would say all the creatures of hell just to cover <laughs> just to cover it they would say That's don't you great. remember all the creatures of hell <laughs> and the other thing i found uh you said a touching ghost story a love story I call that a creepy love story <laughs> between <laughs> someone who's not alive and someone who is. But they did add the humor because they knew the dads and moms were watching. So when the one uh, high school boy was making it with the dead high school girl and she was aggressive with him, all of a sudden the roof to the convertible went erectly up. 
<laughs> very slowly. Very slowly. Very slowly. But just so I, I, no one thinks I'm recommending Dead Girl or something here. I mean, to no, be fair, no. Sandy is back from the dead, but for some reason, it seems like depending on what your intentions are, maybe just with the the you know uh set designer or the custom designers decided for you, you might look like a rotting horrible monster and you might look like a cute 1950s girl with your you know your cheerleader outfit and your pom-poms. Sandy's back, she's legitimately a person, she just you know, she was previously dead, so it's not like she's rotting or anything weird no, like that. No, no, no. It's, right, it's, right. it's nothing. It's nothing that would, you know, make your skin crawl. I just found it creepy. That's <laughs> which I guess is how we're supposed to play off, right? It's spooky. It's more spooky than creepy. Spooky. She, she's a little. She's a little aggressive, but they're about the same age. You know, it, for for a girl in the 1950s, you know, she's like, "Don't worry, it's okay to be nervous." <laughs> she, climbs, <laughs> she climbs into the back seat with him. All right. So, Ryan, have you seen the film? No, I'm not. It, it's been on my list for uh, for, for years. Uh, maybe I'll get to it uh, this Halloween. Uh, maybe yeah, I, I watched it today in between teaching, like before and afterwards. It's not one of those ones that's heavy, so you can actually yeah. have it on in the background and you you won't miss too much. And it's you know, really... it, it, it's a movie that's caught my radar a number of times over the years, and it's always from somebody uh, like Nathan who um, you know is a fan and is like, no, you got to check this out and. Um, and and often there's like some apologizing, like no, it's not perfect, it's not perfect. But and and so my whole life, not my whole life, but I don't know, maybe the last decade, um, it it's come to me as just this cult movie that people love, and it, so its fans are fans. They really love it, and uh, yeah, perfect. I want to see it. And so, um, Ryan, what did you bring to the table as your eighties? movie well i i might have missed a memo about uh, uh about this accompany being a movie to accompany the music list uh i i uh i hope you won't mind i i just interpreted that as an 80s movie that might be good to watch at halloween or something like sure. that. sure yeah absolutely yeah. I, oh no I it wasn't it would just so happen that i i chose it just because i thought oh it's got a lot of these uh, listening to these songs for this episode made me think of this movie and i thought hey it meets the criteria so no it wasn't it wasn't okay though. right right on well then i uh, then then you know either way i picked my movie so it is what it is <laughs> i will say i will say this uh also i'm gonna do some apologizing at the top i'm a bit of a, a champion of this film um it doesn't get a lot of love um so sometimes that's because people haven't seen it or if they have seen it um they haven't seen it in good quality because unfortunately this movie has not made the jump to uh dvd and blu-ray so it's it's waiting to be discovered and uh, I, I don't know, at least 10 years now, I've been waiting for somebody like, you know, Scream Factory or, um, you know, so, somebody to, uh, to to put it out um, because it really deserves a, 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 a decent release. I would like people to be able to discover this thing. Um, that said, uh, the people who have seen it who don't like it, fair. You know, they, they, uh, they have their reasons and I'm not going to say they're wrong. Um, the movie is Funeral Home. It's a Canadian Ooh. horror movie, um, also known as Cries in the Night. Came out in 1980, uh, but it, you know, many times when a movie comes out in 1980, it still feels like a 70s movie. Um, <laughs> this one, uh, I, I, it, it does to a bit. You know, some of the outfits that they wear, for example. But I, I think it still feels like a 80s slasher, um, possibly an 80s supernatural slasher because there's a mystery to the story. Um, and that might be another reason why some people don't like it is that this is a movie that um, takes its time and it, it, it's a mystery. And there's a lot of characters, a lot of red herrings, 
and it rewards you for actually paying attention and 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 sitting with the movie and and, and really um you know going along with the journey uh it's not full of graphic kills so it's if you're a slasher fan who wants lots of gore this isn't your movie um the kills that are there are perfectly fine they're acceptable uh and the movie itself the plot itself i think is um atmospheric quirky it, it, it has a great payoff. Um, it, it does get uh, accused sometimes of, of borrowing a little bit too liberally from uh, uh, Psycho in particular. But, um, you know, lots of movies borrow from Psycho and uh, they're fine. You know, we, we <laughs> I, I enjoy Texas Chainsaw Massacre as its own movie. I, I, it doesn't bother me that it's, it's, it's got some overlap, you know. Um, anyway, the plot of the thing has to do with a teenage girl who comes to a small town. Um, again, one of my favorite themes of the outsider who comes to the small town, then bad things happen. Uh, she comes to town to work for her grandma for the summer because her grandma is converting uh, their home uh, into a like summer home, a, a vacation home, uh, a bed and breakfast. And previously they had run it as a funeral home she the grandma and the grandfather had run it as a funeral home and grandpa has disappeared and so she's trying to figure out how to um, keep the home and keep it running um grandpa's not the only one who's disappeared uh you, you quickly learn that even though the town is small six or seven people have gone missing in the last year or two and you're immediately introduced to a slew of characters. There's the sort of dim-witted, uh, slow caretaker who takes care of the place. Um, there's Grandma herself, of course. Um, there's uh, a, a character who sort of uh, predicts um, Deputy Dewey in uh, the Scream franchise. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. There's a, there's a young uh, a deputy and nobody will take him seriously, but you know, maybe he's onto it or maybe he's behind it. He just don't know. You've got all these, uh, uh, these red herrings. Um, and then of course you've got the people who are staying at the house and some of them, um, there's conflict right away. They're, they're, um, uh, they're, they're stirring up shit, so to speak. You know, some of the characters are up to no good. Some of the characters have secrets. And so the joy of the movie is teasing out as people are getting picked off one by one, uh, who's behind it and who's going to be next. And I really like it. Is it the best uh, 80s horror movie ever made? No, <laughs> not at all. <laughs> uh, is it better than its reputation? Yes, I think so. Um, it To me... Yes, there's some overlap with Psycho. Um, I do think that it seems to have influenced Scream a little bit, and not just from the Deputy Dewey character. There's a lot of reasons. Um, but it also sort of occupies the same space as some of my favorite uh, quirky uh, rural horror movies, um, such as Deranged. You guys have seen that? Another oh, yeah. Canadian. Another Canadian, yeah. Another Canadian movie, yeah. Yeah. Um, also, uh, Strange Behavior, uh, a.k.a. Dead Kids, which I mentioned earlier, um, which is a, a New Zealand, I think New Zealand and U.S. co-production. Uh, I think it was shot in New Zealand. I think it was produced by the United States, or maybe maybe the U.K. I don't remember. Um, it has some overlap with that. 
Uh, it also reminds me quite a bit of Night Warning, aka Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Oh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. Yeah, which is which is one of my all time favorites. I mean, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, I think, is a better movie than this. And Bo Svensson. Bo Svensson, yeah, and uh, um, oh, and uh, I'm blanking on her name, but um, a- anyway, that movie is fantastic. Um, this one comes in just under that for me. It's not quite as bonkers as that one. Uh, but still uh, very satisfying, very enjoyable, and very uh, unappreciated for some reason. Uh, real quickly, I'll mention the cast. Um, you got quite a lot of character actors, uh, Canadian character actors, who you've seen in other movies. Uh, uh, Leslie Donaldson is the uh, the girl who comes to town, and uh, horror fans know her from uh, Deadly Eyes, Curtains, Happy Birthday to Me, stuff like that. Curtains, um, another good Canadian horror. And Happy Birthday to Me is Canadian, yeah. That's right. Um, Kay Hawtrey, uh, who, she was sort of the, um, um, oh, 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 what's her name? Um, from Misery, K- Kate, uh, who's the lead actress in Misery? And Dolores Kathy Bates. Edward. Kathy Bates, that's it. Uh, Kate, Kay Hawtrey was sort of the Kathy Bates of, of her time. Um you know, she was she was a, a bigger, older woman and a really great actress. Um, and you guys have seen her in things like Videodrome. Um, another uh, Canadian uh, uh, um, uh, cult movie called Face Off, which is nothing to do with the face off everyone knows. It's a hockey There's movie. There's no Johnny T in Pindle. there. But um, can't, I can't remember, to be honest. Um, she's also in Urban Legend. She's in Dirty Work. Uh, she's in some of the Police Academy movies. Uh, she's in a exploitation movie called Highballin'. Uh, she's a recognizable face. She's done a lot. Um, sadly died just a couple months ago at the age of 91. But um, uh, another Canadian character actor, Harvey Atkin, is in this. Uh, you know, I love I love Harvey Atkin. Right? Always, I, always plays kind of a stumbling side guy, but he's memorable no matter what he's, he's in. He's so wonderful. I mean, uh, of course... Um, if you've seen Visiting Hours, he's great in that. Uh, he's in Meatballs, The Incubus, and um, maybe best known to a certain generation of, of, of fans for his uh, recurring role in Cagney and Lacey. But, um, and also known to Canadian fans 10 years earlier in The King of Kensington. Ah, show. Yeah. I've never seen that one. Okay. Um, also, I'll mention that Barry Mor- uh, uh, what is it? Barry Morse is in this, a uh, British actor. Um, he plays a, um, character who's staying at the home who turns out he's been doing his own investigating. Uh, so he, he's also trying to solve the mystery. Um, and, and you guys know him from the changeling asylum, uh, and all, another great Canadian horror movie, murder by phone. Um, but, uh, uh finally I'll just mention that it's directed by the uh, great genre filmmaker, William Fruitt. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Who you know, you know his work from Killer Party, Blue Monkey, Death Weekend, Spasms, and uh, a favorite uh, Vietnam uh, <laughs> actioner, Search and Destroy. Yeah, uh, what's a uh, uh, Death Weekend is one heck of a movie. Yeah, that's a tough one. This this one is not as uh, unpleasant. This is a almost uh, PG or PG thirteen uh, style movie. It's um, it's fairly tame. It's not especially graphic. Uh, the kids can enjoy it. It, it doesn't, it doesn't, um, it's not especially fast. You know, it's, 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 a, it's I don't want to say it's slow, but um, 
that's the only thing that might turn off the kids. It, it sounds some Agatha Christie sensibilities to it. Yeah, and and you've got exactly you've got people disappearing. Oh, the other thing about this is very. This isn't spoiling anything. Very early on, you discover that um, Grandma is keeping a secret in the basement. You know, this used to be a funeral home, and so the basement is filled with um, coffins and and uh, um, you know embalming fluid and all kinds of creepy stuff. And uh, she keeps going down the basement. Of course, the, the girl is not allowed. You, you cannot, under any circumstance, go into the basement. But Grandma keeps going down there. And we realize within 15, 20 minutes that she's keeping someone or something in the basement. Um, is, is, is that the killer? Is that the, the husband who's gone missing? Is it somebody else? Is it, I mean, what is it? You just don't know. And, um, uh, it all pays off wonderfully in the final act, and it's it's just a, uh, a an unsung '80s uh, Canadian horror film that um, I wish more people would discover. Uh, you can find it, even though it, it's it's never really made the jump uh, to to modern formats. Um, it shows up all the time on Tubi and on uh, Prime, but it's usually what, what am I talking about? It's always a really low resolution cropped, you know, um, ripped from a VHS source. It's that kind of a thing. And until we get something better, that's the only way to see it. So the print is dark. It doesn't look great. And I think that's partially why it doesn't have the best reputation. People are not seeing it in the best light. Um, I first saw it as a print, uh, when it, it, it played a horror festival and I love the hell out of it. So I we'll, I, we'll give our friend uh, Justin Beam a call at Shout Factory and yeah, see pl- if he can please do because I I've I, really this is anybody out there who um, uh, has connections, <laughs> uh, you know, pick up the phone and uh, pick up pick up the uh, your email list and uh, reach out because um, this this movie's it really should be available and uh, it's not. Yeah, I don't know about Bill's movie, but Funeral Home and The Midnight Hour. Both need some Scream Factory, Shout Factory releases. The fact that you said that it is a little milder and it kind of, you know, I've been uh, I've been making a list of the 30, you know, 31 movies for Halloween, but I've had two lists. I have one uh, for myself and one for my kids. And if it, it, uh, it sounds like this one's mild enough, it, it plays maybe like a a mystery thriller that the, the kids could see, you know, kids of yeah, a certain I- age. I, I definitely think it's fairly kid friendly. It, it, there are some kills, of course, and uh, I mean, and when they do kill people, they're creative about it. Somebody gets killed with like a uh, embalming hook or something. Oh, nice! Um, <laughs> but you know, it's it's not. It, we're not talking about uh, you know, like the giant hook in uh, the mutilator or something like that. It's not. It's not those kind of kills. It's not trying to be that. Alrighty, well, I think people out there should give that one a check because, you know, being a Canadian and also just being a lover of undiscovered, quote unquote, hidden gems, I think it's one that needs to be looked at. So you know, I, I try to kind of specialize with that with the show Halloween Horror Picks. I try to dig out the stuff that's slightly off the beaten path. And I've been wanting to cover this since the beginning of that show. We've done, I think, four or five seasons. And the reason I haven't is because I'm waiting for a good release. I want to really champion it with, you know, a new blu-ray and the day that that happens you better believe i'll, I'll cover it on the show <laughs> and one of the first times i ever chatted with uh ryan we talked about our love of spasms 
And you, uh, you turned me on to spasms. I had heard of it. Spasms, Cause of course yeah. I know, I know through it. And, uh, it was one of the few I hadn't seen from him. So yeah. Spasms. And the one that I first, I was like, I was doing research on one of uh, the land of the creeps and I, I contacted Ryan because I knew that he had done this one and it was Alucarda. Oh yeah. 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 That's and how we it. ended up having to watch Alucarda. There you go. That's, Ryan's <laughs> fault. It's kind of Ryan's fault. It's my fault. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm to blame. I, no, to be fair, I liked Alucarda. I, it was, uh, and I, I put it on the list that I ultimately sent over to Bill. So, it was, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, it's a movie with exploding nuns, exploding menstruating nuns, and, and a uh, lot of screaming. Dave Becker pointed screaming. that out. The menstruating nun aspect yeah. of it. <laughs> so it, it's ironic that the two of you have chosen kind of PG, PG thirteen ish type films anybody that knows my sensibilities knows it's not pg-13 american yes, guinea pig Sawin night <laughs> now having said that a lot of people will know that i also love to watch films with my six-year-old daughter so sure. i'm always kind of looking on both ends of the spectrum but this one is not. i was gonna say let's yeah. see where you fell on this <laughs> let's see where i fell on this but the reason i chose this one is i have a personal connection to this one in that i discovered it in my early teens going to the video store on a, on a shelf that was a little too high that I shouldn't have gotten a hold of. And in one of those shops where they didn't check the ID, they just let you rent it if you had the $4 to rent it. <laughs> but, but I think it has the proper sensibilities that if you're somebody who watched it originally and then is now our age in our mid to late 40s who wants to watch this, this would be perfect at Halloween time. And that's the misogynistic, full of blood, full of boobs, the slumber party massacre. Oh yes. <laughs> well, I, I would argue, I would argue that it's a feminist slasher though. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, first and foremost, it was directed by Amy Holden Jones. Yeah. So it's directed by and written a by a woman. Yeah. And written by Rita Mae Brown and Amy Holden Jones, uh, uncredited as the writer and all the main actresses are, are women aside from their protagonist. So this is a very woman forward film, especially yeah. for the early eighties. Now you look at the cover and it's a man standing with what might as well be his member as a drill in front of a bunch of scantily clad negligee laden women who ironically, none of those characters were in the film. <laughs> they were just there. for the <laughs> They were the cover. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> they were the cover. So they kind of pulled the Roger Corman, make the poster look good before you get in. But the film actually isn't bad. It has a certain sensibility. I'm going to tell you straight up now. It's a slasher. It's one of the slashers. It came out two years after Friday the 13th. So it's kind of copying the formula, but it isn't because it isn't set in a forest. It's not camp counselors per se. It's high school basketball friends who are having a sleepover and things go awry. Let's just say that people start getting picked off at the high school and there's a chase scene inside the high school and the girls are getting together doing what girls that are 17, 18 do. Not that I was ever invited to those parties at that age, but you know, they're smoking pot, they're drinking, they're talking about boys, they're having popcorn, they order pizza in a very memorable scene with pizza. And a killer is on the loose who's escaped from a mental asylum. And he's starting to ping them off one by one. You got your pervert boys, jocks, they're outside kind of looking through the window, you know, seeing a little bit of breast action and they're getting excited. But at the same time, people get their comeuppance. There's lots of blood. But, you know, there's a lot of ways that these movies go. They could be cheap, 
bloody and quick wham bam thank you ma'am they're dead this one has a fun sensibility to it you know the girls they ultimately they ultimately die but you kind of care a little bit more about these characters just because the the way it's written it was written i wouldn't say smartly but it was written with a nice sensibility to it with an awareness of most of the tropes and an awareness of what they were attempting i yeah, I, I think it's absolutely a response to a genre that tends to be misogynistic, and it's saying, yeah. let's turn this on its head a little bit. And so I think in that sense, it is smart. But I hear what you're saying. It's not like <laughs> it's not like they're saying clever things. The, the, the cast members are not. They're not reading Shakespeare here. <laughs> yeah, it's not quite a deconstruction. It's not screaming or anything like that. Exactly. Right. Right. Like it's not even a, it's not even like when we alluded to earlier, like curtains where there's a little bit of maybe higher art to it. This is a boob and bloods slasher. But having said that you could do a lot worse in terms of, you know, even fun. I I hesitate to say fun, but this is a fun slasher and people get what they deserve. And it's kind of fun to see how it plays out. So as, as long as women in negligee or, or cheap t-shirts don't bother you, take this, take this movie for what it is. And when you watch it, it was directed by a woman. It was written by women. It empowers women. Yes. I always, I always tell my wife, slashers are the ultimate feminist films. And some, and some this, of them are. <laughs> well, some, some of them, them are. Yeah. This was, this is a prime example of it. And uh, really the entire series, because uh, Roger Corman wanted to keep that going. So he made sure that every, Everyone was a, a, a woman director and a woman writer. And um, one of my favorite things that the first movie does is that it's slasher killer. You mentioned the phallus, phallic symbolism there of the drill. The, 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 the slasher killer is not a Jason or a Freddy or somebody who has a mask or is obscured behind a scary image. He's just man. He has got a butch haircut. You see him right from the beginning that he's stalking women. Women. He is the embodiment of toxic masculinity and what happens when toxic masculinity comes up against uh, a group of tough uh, women who are just uh, trying to have a good time. You'll find out. (laughs) And there's a scene involving a pool. There's people that, you know, survive. You don't think will survive. There's people that, that ultimately die that you think might've survived. It's it's a decent little flip. It's not it's nearly as, and I think we've, we've alluded to this already. It's not nearly as sleazy either as that cover art, you know. In yeah, no. so, I mean, don't get me wrong. You do see boobs. You do see yeah. blood. You do, but, it's but not, I would say it's not in your face. Well, it's it's, I, as I recall, isn't there like a full frontal shower scene right at the top? Like there literally yeah. is like three yeah. or four of them yeah. in the shot, and you're like, yes, what? Is. what is this movie? And then, yeah. Yeah, but I mean, if if you're under the gun of Roger Corman, he was known famously for if there wasn't enough boobs and blood, yes. he would reshoot the yeah. scenes afterwards to make sure. Yeah, the was. nudity's there, but I think the and some of the violence is there. But in a lot of ways, I mean, you're it's nothing worse than than what's in some of the later Friday the Thirteenth sequels and things yeah. like that. You know, I quite frankly think Revenge of the Nerds had more nudity than Summer Party Massacre. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So it's it's definitely that type of film, but it's not an extreme. It's not an extreme example, but it's a pretty good example in terms of how the content is played. Because I think you're right that you were seeing some of this in other films at the time in the 1980s, that kind of uh, feminist empowerment or seeing the, the, the tables turned a little bit where it's not just the the survivor girl, but there, you know, it's not necessarily that on the face of it, the content looks that different, 
But if you watch it closely, you can see there is some difference. And it's fun. And it's uh, it does a nice job of going between what you're talking about, the very familiar slasher, and being, I think because you care about the characters, being intense and being a little uh, creepy. You know, I think in a lot of ways, it it's uh, a little more intense thriller-wise than some of the other slashers, uh, you know, where you kind of, you're just waiting to see who the killer is going to kill next or what, how is he going to kill them next? And here yeah. you kind of do care who's going to survive and who's not going to survive. And there is there is a dark sense of humor. There is the oh, scene yeah, yeah. With, the, with the pizza delivery guy. Uh, exactly. It still cracks the, me up. The pizza scene is my favorite. I mean, it's yes, for sure. Classic. But yeah, it's kind of out of, you know, it's a little bit out of left field in a sense, like to, to what you expect, you know. And I think that's what made, it, it subverts your expectations. Meanwhile, being an exact example of the kind of movie you do expect. Yeah, now my backup, my backup movie to this one was if you guys had taken this was uh, 1981's Bloody Birthday. Oh, very cool! <laughs> I remember With Killer that one Kids, too. Killer Kids. Yeah, great, great. Fun. And I would go to that. Yeah. And the one I initially thought of uh, on the Halloween theme, it, but it didn't fit the 80s. Was I think it's 2007 or 2009's Jeremy Saulnier's Murder Party. Oh wow, I forgot all about Murder Party. That have been a good one. I like that movie. Which, yeah. Have you seen that one, Ryan? I know it, but I have not seen it. I, oh, I know it's a, it it's a fun one about kind of a quote unquote loser yeah. who finds a Halloween party invite floating in the air like you would at any club in downtown, wherever. And he goes to this. It turns out it's a murder party of sorts in an industrial warehouse where things happen. Mm-hmm. Uh, not what you'd expect. And it's a small space character driven horror. And well, he's, he's a he's a great smart filmmaker, and that was his first movie, right? That was his first, yeah. uh, first or second, yeah. Yeah, and uh, so I, it's been on my list to see because I've seen everything else he's done since then, and um, I recommend it. Yeah, worth it's, worth a look, I'm sure. It's very it didn't good. Fit into, yeah, it, it didn't fit into the '80s theme, so I didn't go with it. Well, it, it almost kind of does because it uh, has. Um, the the Halloween party that he shows up at, everyone who's there is dressed like some sort of eighties character, you know, from a yeah, from a genre yeah. movie. Like one girl is dressed like Pris from Blade Runner, and there's a whole group of people that are dressed as that like killer ball team gang from the Warriors. Yeah, uh. <laughs> yeah, and somebody's and he's dressed up as kind of like a robotic superhero. Like it's but it's really weird. chintzy. He's like a cardboard <laughs> box with like yeah. Uh, <laughs> It's like that one you'd make up with, you yeah. know, toilet paper rolls and a and a, a cereal box, and you'd throw them on your arm. It's funny you yeah. should mention that, Bill, because that movie is sitting here in the pile of movies to give away. I have a a, a, a new DVD copy of it, so maybe we'll have to do oh, that nice. as part of a giveaway we'll uh, with the that. episode. Yeah, because we do cool. have a box of, gosh knows how many. I just keep collecting them, and I'm looking through them like murder party sitting right here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I keep waiting for Jen to say. Give the damn things away, Nathan. She's not that she's not saying it. <laughs> she's just not mic'd. So you just, yeah, she's just not mic'd. It. It's exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> well, I don't know about you guys, but I thought this was an absolute ball of fun. Yeah. I really, I really think that we came up with some great songs. I think we came up with some good movie suggestions. And again, to anybody listening who has either a movie or a song suggestion, please let Nathan or I, or please start spamming Ryan with all of your ideas. (laughs) I I can't wait. I look forward to it. And uh, obviously you can find me on Facebook. You find me on Instagram. You can find me on Letterboxd. And uh, and now uh, bringing it back to my plug, you can find me on uh, LA Frankenstein channel with uh, my new show, Macon County Movie Club. 
And Ryan, for those of you that might want to see a five or six year old Ryan, what was the name of your uh, YouTube r- a horror review series again, so that everybody can get a hold of it? Oh yeah, the well, and it's that show's not over. Some bad things happened, and I, it kind of got put on the back burner. But uh, uh, that'll come back. That's Halloween horror picks. Halloween horror picks. Yeah, and you're and you're also a periodic contributor to the podcast that you both you and I love all-time top 10 with yeah ben yeah ben ben asked me to jump on the show and i never turn him down so uh you know maybe maybe once twice three times a year you'll hear me on that um yeah i don't and, know uh, do, you, do you have any acting gigs because every once in a while you'll put up a facebook uh, saying i shaved my beard i've got a job to do yeah i guess i can mention that uh i recently <laughs> god i i'm like uh, i mean this is this is no slam to the people involved with the project but uh um you know i recently appeared in what is sure to be a schlocky uh low budget cheese fest amityville karen (laughs) as you uh directed by uh sean c phillips uh you guys might know him uh, from youtube his youtube videos uh as cool duder and uh he's directed he started directing movies and um i think this is his third movie uh, blink and you will miss me. I, I show up and spoiler alert, I get killed instantly. And, um, I believe I'm the first victim. So that's kind of cool. But anyway, the, the story is about a, uh, a Karen, uh, who, um, uh, becomes possessed by a demon. And, uh, she goes from, uh, you know, bitching and yelling at, at her neighbors to killing her neighbors. So, so there's nothing stereotypical in this film at all, is there? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, look, I can tell you I was there for like uh, a second. So, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, literally uh, blink and you will miss me. And um, this, this was, uh, you know, very much a um, micro budget production. So, um, you know, showed up, had some fun and uh, the movie should be fun. Check it out. <laughs> And it will answer the uh, the most pertinent question: uh, Is a possessed Karen really scarier than a non-possessed Karen? <laughs> I think uh, I, I think I think the 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 answer to that is yes, because the first Karen uh, is just annoying, and you just roll your eyes and keep walking, and this Karen stabs you in the back as you're walking away. <laughs> and not metaphorically. <laughs> yeah, I think I think also. Uh, this movie is very tongue in cheek. I mean, nobody, yeah, you could tell, <laughs> yeah, nobody thought we were there doing this. Is not a, this is not a legitimate Amityville sequel that I no. know. Of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is like one of those things where Amityville is not, uh, uh, you know, trademarked. So therefore, you know, they slap it on everything and anything. So this is one of the right. thousand movies that say Amityville something. Although so I will say I've never heard of another Killer Karen movie. So I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is a new genre. Did, didn't BET, I think, may have beat them to the punch. There was a movie that came out a week or two ago called Karen about a psychopath. Oh, Karen, excellent. So. Excellent. All right. But super All right, cool. Not supernatural as far as I know. Our, our buddy Amanda Lee has seen the film, I believe. And I, I'll have to check in with her. But I don't think there was supernatural... Um, uh, elements to that. So, so you didn't meet James Brolin. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I did not. Well, let's not I, forget that one of the, I, I guess, pseudo legitimate Amityville movies was called Amityville Dollhouse. So it's not like we're that far. Right. And, and our, our good listener, Dave Whitebread has no doubt seen Amityville shark. That's right. So. <laughs> 
Shouldn't that just be Amity Shark? But anyway, uh, and I, I guess I think I think one of Sean's earlier films. I might be wrong on this, but I think an earlier one that he made uh, is called Amityville Shark House or something like that. So oh, perhaps, perhaps, yeah. so uh, perhaps I was misquoted in my Asylum films. I will say this: if you're mm. looking to pair Amityville Karen and make it a double or triple feature, you have many options. <laughs> there, there, there are plenty. They're all pretty much, uh, you know. Yeah. Well, well, Ryan, we really appreciate it. And no doubt you will be asked back. You, as I say to all of our best guests, you're a perfect candidate for what we call VOD roulette. Oh, where we cool. choose a movie that's streaming on one of the widely available Each of us does, streaming yeah, services. Oh, sounds fun. And the beauty of it is that I do is I just randomly pick one by the cover and the title, do no research, and we'll take our chance. He says the oh, beauty, but man, like... it sucks sometimes when it's real bad. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, no, I'm sure. Well, I guess I should I should mention that's uh, not too dissimilar to yeah. what the new show is that I'm doing, the um, Macon County Movie Club. The concept is that four hosts each bring a uh, a movie uh, that matches that week's theme. And then it's a movie night, so there's a whole room full of people, and uh, each host takes a few minutes to pitch the movie to the group. Uh, we watch the trailer, and then the room votes on which movie we'll see. So there's a little, it's not quite as blind, but it's, um, it's, it's definitely... Uh, Let's not forget the most crucial difference here. You, it sounds like you guys just have to watch one movie. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, that is important. We 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 did that intentionally, and yeah. um, I will say, uh, it it's you know the, the 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 each episode is about thirty minutes long, but the time that the hosts have to dedicate is like six to eight hours. That's how long we're there, uh, shooting, setting up lights, setting up cameras, miking everybody. Um, it's, 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 it's a grind. So yeah, if we had to add two, uh, to me, three more movies, no, 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 that would work. And, and, and who is your makeup girl? We don't have one on this and I wish we did. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> your blemishes are real and authentic. Yes, they, they, exactly. They're all, uh, and, and you will all be horrified by it, uh, but subscribe anyway. <laughs> well, we, we really my, my, do. My hideous vis- visage deserves makeup, and unfortunately, there's none for this show. You shoot the future episode sort of like the end of Apocalypse Now, you know, like it's very <laughs> noir, shadowy, like it's a Val Luton movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, interesting enough, we did uh, noir is one of our topics that we did, and um, and uh, yeah, that episode will start off in black and white and with plenty of smoke from the smoke machine. Nice. So. Ryan just goes into the bathroom and gets some Johnson and Johnson baby powder. Splashes <laughs> a little bit on. <laughs> hey, don't get my secrets away. <laughs> no, sorry. I, I didn't mention the Vaseline. I'm sorry. My, yeah. my beauty secrets. Yeah. <laughs> Vaseline on the teeth and baby powder on the crotch. That's, mm, that's, that's my that's, secret. There you yeah. go. And that sounds rolls. like a recipe, a recipe for success. It's a Friday night. <laughs> Well, thank you very much, Ryan. We really do appreciate it. Your, your no, honesty. Thank, God, thank you. Thanks for having your, me on. It was fun. Your honesty, your knowledge, and your joie de vivre really <laughs> added to the show. So thank you very much, Ryan. You're and welcome. Nathan, Nathan, is there anything you want to promote, talk about, or uh, let the audience know about what's going on with Phantom Galaxy and its many incarnations? It's many incarnations. Yeah. Well, so this was Strange Frequencies, and... Uh, Brian, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's a lot of fun. We will definitely be having you back on. And I think VOD roulette uh, is, a, is a great way to do that. And I think we, we just have to be a 
a monthly thing again, Bill, because I think we have like five people set up. That, That's okay. <laughs> or we can on. just do like eight movies. Right, right. <laughs> but this has been part of our Halloween coverage. So we have Strange Frequencies. We did our, you know, kind of favorite Halloween spooky songs. And an upcoming episode of the Illustrated Fan for this month for October, we also have uh, Dave and I will be looking at uh, – kind of spooky animated movies and Halloween specials, animated Halloween specials. And we're going oh, to bring cool. on the uh, great Greg bench for that episode. So he'll be joining us and uh, that should be a lot of fun. Then the rest of this month, we've got other things coming up a uh, Halloween centric. We have our tales from the phantom galaxy, which will be the audio hard narrated stories, kind of stories, you know, mostly from the public domain, uh, a few more episodes that will be special for Halloween. And that's uh you can find us as always at phantom galaxy at podbean.com if you want to send us an email with some of your thoughts about your favorite halloween songs or you want to send us some ideas about what you'd like bill to see cover next or what you would like to see bill cover next on strange frequencies uh, or which what you would like to see us cover on phantom galaxy or uh, illustrated fan please send a message to phantomcasts at gmail.com and please go over to uh Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review. That helps us get the word out and helps uh, kind of visibility for the podcast. And uh, yeah, that's that's us. And I think that's it for Strange Frequencies. Bill, you got anything else? Well, the last thing I would say is depending upon when this drops, we may or may not have Don and Ellie in our Halloween with Indonesian Horror, our really good episode. If you've already heard it, you know what's great. If you haven't, it's going to be great. So Don and Ellie brings a really good perspective to this, but we've, uh, we're thanking Ryan. We're thanking Nathan. We're thanking the listeners. This has been a great episode. So this has been strange frequency where the needle drops and the story begins. 